On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Peter Augustin, and welcome to another episode of The House List. Yeah, that's my weekly podcast. It's called The House List. I just marked your name off of it. Yep, it's just like a guest list. It's called The House List. That's what it is. Um, each and every episode is edited by CJ Stewart. Um, on today's episode, I have the incredible native New Yorker, promoter, curator, and all around incredible human being, Stephen Dima, on the show. Now, a lot of bands and booking agents and, and people in New York know of Stephen probably most famously through his work at the South Street Seaport in Lower Manhattan. You know, that's where the big ships and stuff are. It's like the, the one of the oldest um, places, neighborhoods, really, in, uh, in New York City. Um, think of Gangs of New York. So anyway, like people have played and booked um, bands um, at Four Knots, which Stephen has curated throughout the years. The South Street Seaport uh, has like a music series throughout the summer as well. He was also like an alum of East Village Radio, which is a great uh, online uh, pioneering radio station in New York City, which then merged into uh, a, a new station that's based in South Street Seaport called littlewaterradio.org. Now, we didn't really talk about the station but we did talk a lot about the seaport, but, and I had, you know, specific stuff I wanted to ask him about, you know, things like that, but it, it quickly evolved into a pretty expansive conversation, which is always what I try to do and try to get to, uh, with my guests, because also beyond, um, the booking bands and booking a lot of rock shows and stuff with Steven, he, he, is one of the main uh, bookers and, and uh, I guess, um, production managers of the New York Comedy Festival. And he's been doing that for a long time and has, uh, you know, put together and produced um, a lot of seminal comedy shows in New York City. And I'm talking not just, uh, this is through Caroline's, but not just in clubs, but The Garden and the Apollo and uh, Lincoln Center um, and like you name it the guy's done it you know Mark Marin at, at Carnegie Hall I mean uh, Louis CK at, at City Center which um, Stephen hooked me up and put me on uh, got me uh, tickets for years ago thank you but I, I digress I mean it's not really just about that but as we were talking about specific work stuff you know uh, 
slowly I was able to draw out more of his life story, which became increasingly intriguing and exciting because as any native New Yorker, that's like been in love with music and, and fascinated with, uh, music and shows and comedy and entertainment, then there's a lot more under the surface. And even his father has a, an amazing history and and in that world. And, and if you, uh, you know, get really deep into the conversation, you'll see because superficially, you know, he's known as a show promoter or a curator, but like any human being, it's a lot more complex than that. And and really, you know, he got to start uh, working, booking shows at the world trade center. So we, so just to give you, just to frame this a little bit, give you set it up a little bit. Our conversation sort of starts, um, into talking about his work at the world trade center, which was, um, really the summer to, um, uh, from nine, from 99 to the end of the season in 2001. So if that says anything and that puts it all in kind of context, but yeah, um, yeah, we talk about uh, so much totally interesting stuff. Bill Cosby, Louie, of course, um, and just uh, so many rock shows. Uh, it's hard to even summarize. So, you know, sit back, uh, listen and enjoy this one. You know, listen to it in chunks, too. This is an epic conversation, too. So if you're going on a flight, you're going on a long trip, this is the one to wait and play that then. You know, you got your long commute. Yeah, you're going to love this one, especially if you're a New Yorker, if you've worked with Stephen before. Um, but this is this is a, a, um, a conversation for anyone that grew up uh, wanting to work in music or inspired to, to work in music. And yeah, I hope you dig it. I mean, that, that's all I can hope for, you know, so and that if you do like it, just, you know, let people know, spread the word. Um, I'm actually not even in New York. I, I did the conversation with Stephen, then I went down to Virginia so I'm back in Virginia. It's um, here for my father's birthday. It's my father's 74th birthday, which is pretty amazing and awesome. I'm in my old childhood bedroom looking out the window at the driveway like I did so many times in my youth, uh, waiting for, uh, you know, friends and girlfriends and whatnot to come over or to pick me up. Or, and, uh, you know, there's so much still here. This is the same house I grew up in. I was born and raised in. It's the only house I really know. Um, and there's still so many relics of my childhood here, even looking, peering over to the bookshelf to see the shell, uh, Silverstein books, the missing piece and the missing piece meets the big O from my childhood. Just, you know, they're just still there, um, hanging out and so much, so many other things. It's pretty amazing. And, uh, um, it's, it's pretty special, but I needed to get this intro done. So I wanted to do it while I was down here. I love doing these um, outside of the element of New York. So it, it always kind of, I feel like my tone and my voice is a little different. It's morning though, so I just woke up. I'm drinking coffee, sitting in the chair, looking out the window and trying to get this done. So again, I can't stress how much I enjoy doing this conversation with my man, Stephen Dima. He came over to the house and you know, I had stuff I wanted to talk about and then it just kind of grew and, and, uh, it was fun. He's hilarious. And we had a lot of laughs. So, uh, without any further ado, um, also, you know, there was some music I played at the beginning now I'm not going to say what it is because I don't want it to get flagged. I don't want it to be, uh, somehow, uh, 
uh, taken down. But that was a request of Stevens. If if you know what that uh, song is, hit me up on Twitter at HouselessPod. HouselessPod. And uh, you never know um, what might happen. So, again, thank you so much for listening to The House List. Let's check out this conversation now. Uh, well, the thing, too, is that, uh, you know, these aren't really like, I don't really consider it like a formal interview, but, I mean, there's stuff I, like, want to talk about because of the fact that you, too, have uh, uh, been working as a promoter in New York for a long time. So yeah. you've obviously, and you've worked in different at different places yeah. uh, for different yeah. people. Yeah. But, I mean, clearly the uh, South Street Seaport has really been the hub for you for for a, it's been for a, a bit while, of a right? Hub. Yeah, it's been a, been a bit of a uh, home and a hub and a, a blessing and a curse and all that all that kind of stuff. Right, but that's yeah. not really where it all started for you. I mean, you uh, because no. because no, it, I mean it, it. It's well, it's it's where it's where things took off. You know right. what I mean? But uh, depending on what you mean, where did it start? You know, um, in the sense of uh, what would have what would have ignited. Well, I mean, I think doing, I think, doing what I eventually absolutely. But if but I but if it wasn't basically for uh, Siren Fest kind of stopping and moving there, I think that's what really started the South Street no, Seaport came, thing for you, right? No, that came much later. I was um, I was at the uh, I was actually f- doing shows at the World Trade Center, right? Uh, much, like was, daytime stuff, right? Both. There was a, there was this really cool. Uh, PR agency and I didn't do PR or anything but I was friends with these folks and I started working with them and one of their clients was the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey hmm. and uh, and there was a gentleman there who, who uh, so doing publicity for doing PR for Port Authority well no well they did they their client was I, uh, no I specifically said I didn't do PR no no I, uh, yeah I, no I did, not, uh, not you I actually have a funny story about about it was called Schwartz Public Relations and there was a very small sort of boutique firm and the the main guy Barry Schwartz uh, who's uh, who's probably in his eighties now uh, he uh, he ran the thing and he was I, I basically I, so I needed I needed work and I was working there and uh, he uh, he actually it was it didn't didn't email he would have he would draw he would write out his emails on a on a legal pad and then I would type them into the computer wow it's basically what uh, what I would do. So this is kind of like late '90s or something, right? So, um, so anyway, I got involved with doing uh, doing the shows at the World Trade Center, and a lot of them were radio station uh, affiliated. You right. know? So there was like the Kiss FM series, and you know, um, this kind of stuff. And uh, and and towards the last, the, the very so I did that thing like two or three years in the so, last. So year. what year? What what time frame is that? So there would have been, would have been like you know ninety nine, like two thousand ninety nine, two thousand, two thousand and one, I think. Okay. So the very last year of the World Trade Center, literally, um, there were some other cool, there were cooler things. I was sort of given a little more carte blanche, and I was working with FUV, kind yes. of doing things, and sort of taking more. And, and also, there had been this oldies series, but at the time, and, and even now, sort of a lot of the oldies folks were sort of like, there weren't a lot of them around anymore, or, or original ones, you know. We're talking about like the 50s crooner yeah, type. that kind of right? that kind of stuff, you know. Like Shirelli, Frank, Morel, yeah. Right. And Frankie that, and, Valley and stuff and like that. And a lot of them, a lot of the other ones were like sort of very expensive. But anyway, the point, the point being is that uh, I started booking a lot of um, like Alex Children, the box tops and that mm-hmm. kind of thing, which was total fun because at the time, you know, Alex was alive and uh, 
and he was in great form. And uh, and we didn't call it like the oldies series. I think it was like Summer Hits, the World Trade Center, or something like that. Yeah, you know, it's like because they didn't those like the Trogs played. Mm. Um, uh, Dave Davies from the Kings played. Wow, was, that's amazing. Which was yeah, it was. I mean, for me, as the major major Kings fan, and so. So being able to do that kind of so suddenly I was given a sort of rain to kind of uh, free range to, to, to um, free rain free range chicken eggs um, <laughs> to to kind of to kind of book some cool things but within that sort of corporate Port Authority you know right. so to them it was like oh he's booking the oldie series but to me it's like oh shit it's Alex Chilton and you yeah know, I have access Dave to this Diddy's, stuff I, I have love. access NRBQ played the FUV thing you know were you like, conceptual were you the one that was coming up with the ideas at that of point in time yeah, yeah. Cool. So, so you had the so creative like, freedom to do that yeah you know it's it's at the time yes sure. absolutely and uh, within within those the, the you know those guys you know Within what they needed me to sort of deliver, I was able to do cool things. And obviously, you know, Alex Shin was one of the coolest ones, and they were great because it was like the band. Uh, you know, they're all from you know Memphis, and they all went to high school together. And instead you know, of sitting backstage and talking to them about you know cool. all these amazing people that were like went to they all went to high school, you wow. know, and like what was in the, what was in the water to you know. And of course, Alex was was a little weird, but he was cool. And uh, and uh, and Dave Davies, there was about ten thousand people. Uh, I, I mean, I still meet people that say they were at that show. It was, it was a oh. lunchtime show. Yes. And uh, there were about 10,000 people on the, and the, it was at the plaza there. You know, the, there was a, you know, this little plaza where the globe was in between, right. the, in, in, in between the buildings and the stage sat at the foot of Tower One. Is it and, like, uh, were they like on Friday afternoons or something? They, or were, it, they were, they were all different. I think, I think that series was probably like on a Thursday. That might have, no, you know what? I think, I think it was... There was a Bloomberg did a blues series and 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 that was that was cool too. Uh, I tried to book some cool people. I remember Guitar Wolf played uh, cool. one one uh, one year. I kind of snuck got snuck him in, uh, but most of it would have been you know the, the usual stuff. But uh, I think the the I think Dave Davis played on a Thursday. But the cool thing is that I'm, I'm Facebook friends with with Dave and, and his son. Wow, Christian Davies. Cool and uh, and. On September 11, Christian Davies actually posted uh, a video of his father at the World Trade Center doing Father Christmas. This was wow. in August. You yeah, it's pretty amazing. But if you watch till the end, you'll see uh, me with hair mm. come out and uh, on stage, on stage, and say say thank you for coming. It was it was pretty great. And so, so you kind of uh, took on the Bill Graham sort of uh, role in that in that setting. Um, you were like the Bill Graham of the of that of Lower Manhattan. I I, I don't I don't how so. <laughs> no, really, specifically because I think there was like some stories of him like at Winterland, like in San Francisco with the dead, like on Christmas, like coming out like dresses Santa oh, Claus yeah. and shit. That's the analogy I'm well, trying to make. Well, it would have been cool if I, in August I did come out dressed as Santa Claus. It would be pretty great. But I didn't know he was. I didn't know he was going to do that song. But it was enough to. It was enough to to book. Dave Davies and uh, yeah, that's huge. And uh, it's really, it's really funny. Look, I look back, you know, because Dave is, you know, he's he's kind of he's sort of come back. This talk of uh, of a Kinks reunion and stuff. Him and Ray actually played, but uh, you know, he does these city winery gigs and stuff like that. And he's sort of he's sort of kind of back. And I remember at the time it was it was a very um, he wasn't doing. He might have done some things at the bottom line at the time or something, but I remember there was a there was a gentleman who I who I still know, and he he did a lot of these oldies things and. 
I remember him thinking, I remember him telling me that I, like, I probably paid too much for Dave Davies because, which I totally did not. Do you know what I mean? Okay. And, uh, but that, but because I was such a fan that the agent probably, you know, saw, you know, knew well, that took I advantage was, of you? Yeah, took advantage. But there's like, there's no way. I'll, I'll tell you when the tip recorder's off, but the, uh, but there's yeah no I would have paid way more than than I paid for him it was pretty incredible I couldn't believe that it happened but I mean uh, you can kind of tell when you're paying too much for someone like there is a line you know like I won't I won't I won't admit that on this you know right uh, but uh, who was the agent do you remember I mean that's not there's nothing wrong with remembering that uh, right? I think it was it was um, this this guy Mitch Carduna what, hmm. um, I don't, I don't who I know. actually know from a, from a whole other life. I, I kind of forget who it was. It's certainly not. I don't think it's the agent now. You know. Sure. I mean, that's so know. much time has changed. Since Fast forward years later, when I uh, you know I was I was on East Village Radio. I had a show for for many years, and uh, I actually um, uh, messaged Dave Davies through Facebook to do an interview, and he said okay. Cool. And up until the the morning, uh, the, the the Sunday before my show was on a, on a Monday at that time. And uh, up until then, I wasn't really sure, like what, like, like maybe it's not David, maybe it's just somebody, maybe it's just some fan who has. Oh, it was running the Facebook account. But uh, but we had scheduled like a a Skype call to kind of just review what we were going to talk about the next day. This was like a big deal. Like this is Dave Davis, the Kinks. This is a massive thing for me. Yeah. And uh, I remember he, uh, he, the the I you know I'm, you know, ringing the, the placing the Skype call whatever. And uh, he had the video camera on for a second, you know, and it's like, holy shit, it's, Dave, it's fucking Dave Davies wow. sitting in his house, you know, and he like fumbles and turns off the camera. Huh. So then we talked and it was great. He sent me uh, a bunch of uh, songs that weren't, that he had recorded with his, one of his sons and um, all this really? kind of stuff. Yeah. It's unreleased I, Yeah, material. unreleased thing. And I don't think he's ever released it, uh, but I played it, I played it on the show. That was, that was, cool, that was man. great. So anyway, that kind of, uh, that was, it was a crazy summer. Were uh, you working from? Where were you working out of? I mean, were you, was there an office around the World so Trade many, Center? Yeah, or? yeah. I mean, I worked. I worked from home, but you know, there were so, the the there were so many. Shows. We basically would live there for the summer. There was like eighty shows a summer. So wow. There was a lunchtime show and a night and, a, and an evening show, uh, and there was there was a country station at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember the Dixie Chicks played. Uh, Hmm. Uh, you know, always awful, awful country bands play, but they were they were pretty good. And, and they're uh, just open to the public shows. It's yeah, like, they were free shows. Right, it was right. there was this country station in New Jersey, and all these like crazy New Jersey people that would wear their t shirt would come and watch the most horrendous country acts. You know, <laughs> it was sort of it was sort of the beginning of that whole like new country bad right. thing. But but you know the Dixie Chicks were pretty cool, and uh, uh, and and anyway, and there's Kiss FM and uh, CD One and One. That was pretty hard. Horrible. The people were great, but the bands were terrible. And uh, and then of course FUV. That was a lot of fun because I could sneak cool things in there. Yeah, that one. That one still to this day presents really great shows, if I'm not mistaken, right? That, yeah. Well, the... oh, well, we'll get into that in a second. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, so anyway, so it was a pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, so I worked from there. You know, it was uh, four four days a week. You know, and fr- wow. Friday nights were actually amazing. Uh, they were Latin shows. Uh, which I'd got, I went on to do some at the seaport too, and they were always a favorite of mine. There was a, always a huge party, but these guys who did it at the Trade Center, this guy Nick Lugo was his name, uh, and uh, 
there were huge, huge people. The bands were amazing. So it was all yeah. live bands, no DJs or anything like that, or how would how would it be? No, every now and then there was a, now there when was you, a DJ. When you're talking about Latin music, is it like are we talking about freestyle, like '80s stuff, or is it going more into like salsa and merengue? And yeah, salsa like and merengue. Yeah, cool. You know, yeah, very uh, cool. Um, and some, you know, some pretty big artists. It was, it, and there would be like three or four bands. It was insane. It was insane, but. When, when those horn sections got, I mean, a lot of times it would, like when, when that stuff is like not good, it can drive you nuts because it's ding, 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 ding. It sounds like light my fire, the break, you know, which right. is really annoying too. You know what I'm talking about? This I know exactly what you're talking about. But when it's great, and the horn sections, like, you know, just, uh, just, just fantastic. It's and wonderful people and just really great. I, uh, I got a Latin award uh, after, it was just kind of a funny thing. After September 11th, they just sort of they had like a, a thing, the promoter. Um, mm. and, but I always joked I got this, you know, Latin award for for doing the shows at the at the Trade Center. But we had a lot of fun. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah so yeah. so then um, uh, I uh, I at the time also with this PRHC, I, 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 there was this huge family event called Children's Day, which I fell in love with because mm. uh, you know it was uh, it was 13 was a uh, a partner at the time, Channel 13. You mm-hmm. know, PBS and LIW and we're all involved in uh, the Children's Museum of Manhattan. So it was all these great cool. people that I met at the time, and uh, and and I sort of got bit by this bug when you, like the real Elmo would be there, you know, and when he would come out, and when you saw three or four thousand like four year olds lose their shit, it was right. it was it was amazing, you know, to, to to watch. So I got very addicted to that. So what's the real uh, Elmo like? Uh, well, he's uh, he's no longer um, the real Elmo. Ke- Kevin Clash uh, mm-hmm. was an amazing guy, but you know he had I think he had an affair with an underage. Uh, there was uh, there was allegations and he right. quit uh, Sesame, which is very very sad. Um, he was a lovely guy. I don't know. I don't. Wasn't know. there a documentary about him or something? There is. Yeah, yeah that came it. out right before that whole thing. I think. Wow, you know? I've never seen that. And uh, wow. I worked with him a number of times. You know, I, I, uh, he. I, so I was gonna. Anyway, we can we can go back to Elmo if you like, but uh, one of the early early days of working with uh, the stars. But um, I basically what happened was after September 11th, I, I went to a woman that I knew who worked at the Downtown Alliance at the time, and I, I, I called her, and she said, "What do you want? What do you want? You want a job? What do you want?" I said, "We like I, we need to do Children's Day again because I, I cool. knew that you know uh, if now." You know, remember this. Like our shows ended the week before September 11th. Like the, they were supposed to take the stage down the following. Like the season, right? The, the season, yeah. So we were supposed to take the stage down the following week, like the following like Thursday or Friday. Wow. And uh, I had, I was supposed to pick up a check like that morning, and I'll never forget the night before on September 10th. It rained, like poured pouring rain, and the woman from the Port Authority had called me and said, you know, there we have your check. I said, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna come that road down on my bike along the, on the West Side Highway, uh, along Hudson River Park, and went to get the check. I met her at the foot of you know like One World Trade Center. And that was yeah. that, and that was it. Next oh. morning I woke up. It was September 11th, and was, Holy shit. you know all, our world changed. And uh, wow. so I called so I called this woman at the at the Downtown Alliance, and, and I said, look, we need to do Children's Day because I knew that if if we could do that, and then I could see that joy one more time. You know what I mean? That everything right. would be okay. It was like a personal thing, mm-hmm. and that was that was sort of the early formations of, of uh, uh, you know, we went to her and she said, "Look, how much you need, whatever." And we talked, and then a couple of months later, everyone got together, and that's where River to River was formed. Oh yes, River yeah. to River, right? 
So, which was, you know, uh, to rebuilding the arts through, uh, you know, rebuilding Lower Manhattan through the arts and stuff like that. But anyway, so fast forward um, to the seaport. And I had a bit of history at the seaport because my dad had owned a restaurant on Ann Street. My That's right. Yeah, I remember you telling me about that. So, wait, real quick, though. You, did you grow up in Manhattan? Or I, no, I grew up in Brooklyn. Uh-huh. Uh, but I spent, a time, I spent Sundays with my dad, you know, at his restaurant. And at the time... That like there was no, like Sunday and like there were like that's gone forever. Where there were parts of Manhattan that that were dead, like on on a Sunday, like there was right. no one. Right. You know what I mean? And uh, I remember loving that. Like it was really cool. It was a bit like those movies where, you know, zombie. You know, it's a bit like a zombie movie where right. some virus kind of <laughs> wipes out everyone. And the city and streets are totally empty. Just totally empty. You know, the, he had and, a and restaurant. No one really lived down there at the right. time. You know right, what I mean? Right, right. And, and so. And, and the restaurant wasn't even open. My dad would just oh, take me in to go do what, you know, he would, you know, sit in his office and do shit. And I would just like play restaurant, you know what I mean? Right. But we'd walk around and, you know, so. What was so, it? What was it called? The restaurant's called the House of Capri. Nice. So what kind of fare would that be? It would be Italian. Food? Italian? Cool. Italian. Uh, of course, Capri. Yes. Yeah, well, you know, it's, uh, what are you, you going to do? But uh, it was, um uh, Italian sandwich, you know, shop. You know, he he told me all his life. Uh, my dad passed away in 2011. Mm. He told me all his life that he used to make uh, 2,000 sandwiches a day. Wow. Yeah. And I still have his bread knife. You know, wow. I think about it every time I'm slicing bread. It's like my treasured possession uh, from uh, from from my dad. His his it was like made in Germany or something. Amazing. Uh, whatever. You know, his his bread knife. But anyway. So well, that's something you use every day, almost. Too, uh, yeah, right? every day. Yeah, yeah. I'm always getting mad at my wife because she like leaves it in the sink, and I just I don't you know have to like dry it and make sure you know. Anyway, so uh, we digress. So I kind of you know go into the seaport and kind of you know re falling in love, rediscovering you know uh, becoming re obsessed uh, with that part of town and, and and parts and parts of the seaport that I hadn't thought about, hadn't been there since high school, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and so, so it created the, the Seaport Music Festival, you know, and, and brought a lot of the uh, partners from uh, like FUV and, and, oh, right. and, and Bloomberg and a lot of the partners from, found a new home for a lot of the series right, uh, right. at the Seaport. Uh, but on Friday nights, I started, uh, I was, uh, for some reason, I, 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 I that either escapes me now or I never really knew. Um, I, you know, they they gave me sort of card blast to kind of do more and more to, that they trusted me to sort of do um, not whatever I wanted to, right. but like kind of do my own thing. Who who would who do you even have to answer to? I mean, obviously you have there's people that own well, property around there and well, own was, the business. Well, it was, well, the funding at the time had come from River to River. And and it wasn't a lot of money from them, and so I think they were just like, oh, you know, the seaport's an obligation. Let's give them. We have to give them money, and then uh, and then the, the seaport themselves were like, yeah, yeah, do all right, cool, you know. Is that like a do board you, of people, or how does well, the River to River was? Yes, uh, it was yeah. a steering committee, which I which I eventually became part of as that, well. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Uh, because uh, you know, I you know there were there were what what ended up happening was I started I started booking the stuff and. Uh, I was uh, I was Delphine Blue, who's uh, who's a very well known, who's a, a friend of mine and uh, a very well known uh, New York DJ. Uh, she was uh, BAI, Sirius, FUV, 
for, for years. Popular and, radio uh, DJ. Popular radio DJ, yes. And, and DJ as well. She cool. DJed at the Ritz back in the day. Nice. Uh, and uh, just all around well-known, uh, well-loved New Yorker. And she was the host of the shows at the World Trade Center. And we sort of oh, wow, bonded cool. uh, for the FUV stuff. So we bonded uh, and became friends. And so uh, I, the very first show that I booked uh, at, at the seaport was Polyphonic Spree. Cool. Yeah. And there were more people on stage than huh. there were in the audience. It was like 26 people. I know. It's a big, a big and, ensemble uh, there. There was five people. One, two of them were Paul Simon and his son. Huh. And three of them were friends of mine. And then the rest were just tourists walking by, going, "What the hell is this?" Right. Uh, I think I, I think I remember what uh, Delauder actually calling the agent. I don't remember who it was at the time. Uh, and so, I mean, basically, what the like? How? Why am I here? You know what I mean? But uh, maybe I just imagined that. But uh, but the Paul Simon thing was pretty cool. You know, he was he was married yeah. to what's her name, who was from Dallas, and so friends with what's it? You know, right? Uh, Edie Brickell. Edie Brickell. Was friends yes. with. Uh, What's his first name? Delot, the dude from, oh, from uh, the band. I'm not Pop sure. Spree. But anyway, um, so I that's, mean, that alone has got to you know please the band to a certain degree. I think. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe they were. I don't know. Maybe Paul Simon came to see him all the time. I don't know. But it was right. it was cool. I have pictures. You know, it was it was cool to be able to go to the seaport at the time and say, "Hey, Paul Simon was here last night." No sure. one else was, but he yeah. was here. <laughs> but uh, but you've done so many shows. I mean, there where it's like sometimes it's interesting because I've seen giant, huge, you know, uh, attended shows. I mean, the festivals obviously keep bringing larger and larger numbers. But yeah. you've done a lot of smaller headline plays, like in different little cor- nooks and crannies of that of that area, where it is like you know you will get just five people, and it's like people that are walking around, too. It's a very, uh, very unique very experience. I'm very used to just five people, yeah. You know, very for, well. I'm very used to just five people, you know. <laughs> right. well, well, no, I mean, I mean, the festival itself, obviously, for, right. for many years, um, it on Friday nights, it was, you know, it was it was the place to be on Friday nights. It worked, it worked great, you know. I mean, I sort of set out, and I've always, I've always said this, I mean, at the time, my, my goal was to, because... You know, a lot of the a lot of the other venues of, of River to River, people were doing you know big shows and you know, but no one was really uh, doing anything for like I, I literally say, would say like, what about people who go to like Mercury and Bowery Ballroom and stuff like right. that? What about them? They don't necessarily want to see Daughter Williams. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right, you know, that's fine. Right. And nothing against her, but sure, you sure. know, you know, and part of it too was like wanting to do like something cool, and I wanted I wanted to basically. Like create Bower, out, Bowery Ballroom outdoors. Do you know what I mean? Right, like and you been band, very good you would, for those bands too. Guitar-driven yeah. rock bands, garage bands. Yeah, I mean, so somebody you would see, you know, at Bowery, you know, you can now come, you know, in, in March or April, you know, you can now come see in the summer right. for free out on the pier, and you could smoke and drink, and right, you know, it was right. very, it was a very unique place uh, to New York City or, or anywhere other than New Orleans. Sure, you know, sure. That you could actually stand on the pier and and and. Drink an open open container right. of beer. It's pretty great. So yes. that was uh, that was a significant thing. And of course, by the water and the tall ships and the the buildings and the lights. You know, at night it was oh, it's beautiful. It was just magic. You know uh, what I mean? Uh, yeah, I, and like uh, you even had the backstage or the green room for some period of time was on the boat too on the big on the big well, boat. If I'm not mistaken, is well, you are, but that's I okay. am mistaken. Well, it's not, well, I went up on I, I've been on that's that was that was part of four knots, which we're gonna get. To. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, you don't have to apologize. Right, it's there, all it's all good. Because there's a there's a dip, it started as seaport like uh, music festival. So what happened? 
because you seem to really want to talk about that. I want to. I want I want the facts because there's a lot of stuff. So the Seaboard Music Festival started 2002, right? So now Siren started, I think, 2000 or 2001. So it was a very, very uh, similar thing. We were doing very, very similar things. Uh, I had corresponded with Diane Perini at the time. Right, from the Village you know, Voice. That's right. And uh, it was never really a conflict because, you know, um, Siren was one day, the beginning of the summer, the Seaport Music Festival at the time ran through the summer every Friday night. So if right. somebody was playing at, 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 at Siren, they, can, they could, if we really wanted, they could play at the end of the summer. It's fine. It's like, you know... Uh, you know, it, it, it always worked out. It was always great. There's always a great mutual respect. And when I learned that, um, and I was a huge fan of Siren, and, and nobody was really doing the type of artists that we that we were doing, you know, doing, I mean, Bowery and, and, and indoor venues were, but yeah, right. no outdoor. I mean, this is years before Summer Stage and Celebrate Brooklyn would even think of booking a band like Always or something like that. Right. Do you know what I mean? That they were, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't until probably 2007 that I think that they started to take notice of like, hey, well, wait a second, why is yeah. Time Out and The Voice and the New York, why is the New York Times writing about the seaport? You know what right, I mean? Right, uh, Which was a huge thing. It was like really exciting, you know what I mean? To like sort of take this, these little shows that are booking on the pier and sort of get that kind of recognition mm -hmm. and uh, get that kind of respect and just that, that kind of excitement. That was the big thing, the excitement. Yeah. I mean, I would stand by that stage and and like cry sometimes when like there were three or four thousand people would show up for some band from the UK that no one real you know what I mean right like, right it was that was the that was that was a thrill man that was just yeah really exciting to like bring people there and yeah. sort of give them that and you know and 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 this sort of incredible gift and also to 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 it was exciting because I loved the seaport so much and to. I, you know, I knew, and it still does. It has. It always had for years. Had this perception of this. It's just a tourist destination. It's a tourist place. Right. And you know, I've said it many times. You know, to be able to change that um, perception, even for two hours on a Friday night, was was really significant. Was really exciting. Really incredible. And I like to think that a lot of that ground. You know, that that allowed the uh, uh, laid the groundwork. For a lot of what's what's about to happen there, you know what I mean. Mm. That it was that it was. It was never in a million years uh, recognized as a venue that a place that you would go to for a, a sandwich. It was uh, right. never mind a concert or or a show or to see Animal Collective. I mean, right, that made right. no sense. But it did make sense, right? Like you just had to show people, and so yeah, that was that yeah. was an incredible thing. So then what happened in around 2011? Siren was coming to an end. And I, I literally emailed Diane. I said, hey, should we talk? You know, like, you know, it just makes sense. And so we met with The Voice and, and created Four Knots, which oh, nice. was separate from the Seaport Music Festival. As a matter of fact, the, I think the first year of, of Four Knots, we did a, uh, we did a, a joint, which we, we ended up doing a lot, like uh, joint um, events and things, the Seaport, you know, Four Knots and the Seaport Music Festival present Bloody Blue. And we did uh, Ted Leo... He did the uh, the tenth anniversary of uh, tyranny of, uh, of of what's it called? Um, As Ted Leo and the pharmacist. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. I'm embarrassed uh, to hope Ted will have Ted. Would, I'll think of it in a second. But anyway, I'll do a voiceover over uh, top. All right, cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I think Ted by this point knows I love him, but and I'm just having a. a I mean, a, you've booked him plenty of times. Yes. 
which was a huge part of the history of, of the Seaport Music Festival. And so we did a kickoff mm. to Four Knots. We did a show on the Saturday before with Ted, which was massive. And he played the whole record and then some. And cool. then... Uh, and then, uh, and then the following week was was Four Knots. So that's how Four Knots started. And now uh, you've been doing it now for what? How many years now? Uh, it's uh, well, 2011 till till now. Right. Yeah. So uh, now there's some changes this year. There's new regime at the at the Voice, and they're kind of they're they're figuring out what they want to do. There's probably not going to be a there won't be a Four Knots this year. What? Uh, yeah. And uh, so they'll they want to kind of do a bunch of smaller things. And sort of build into a much bigger. They want to. They want to kind of take it to a whole other level in 2018. So that's that's what's happening there. So but it's another chapter is uh, is upon. That's the next podcast. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. But just to go back real quick, because people that obviously there's people outside of New York City that listen to this. I'm hoping. Yes, I mean, I know. Always, one always hopes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so just so people have some context, the Siren Music Festival that we had mentioned was something that happened on Coney Island. That's correct. Uh, yes. For about five or six years as well. Something. No, like ten. That's ten. Ten years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because um, I remember, because uh, some of the you know I worked at, I was a talent buyer at the knitting factory for right, a couple of years, right. and some of the uh, knitting factory staff worked the like the door backstage. Shay, basic Shay and Jean. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm yeah. sure you remember them, and absolutely, yeah, Jean, yeah. yeah. So great guys, but some of my I remember those experiences. Yeah, Shay, 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 Jean has worked uh, four knots several times nice. in the early days, and Shay, Shay worked the first year, um, but. Um, but yeah, no, Siren was ten years out of Coney Island. It was amazing. Yeah, it's a hell of a run. You know, it's like to go back to go back to like what uh, you know my history and stuff like that. I was you know grew up in Brooklyn and what uh, part of Brooklyn? Um, well, I was born in Clinton Hill. Oh yeah. And I I grew up in Marine Park. Marine Park. Okay. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's kind of way out there. Yeah, like King's I Plaza. How was that growing up there? What, what was that uh, like? It was fantastic. You know, for the most part. You know. Um, it was, you know, to me, you know, my wife's in Texas. I mean, when I say to her, like, to me, it was it was suburbia. You know what I mean? There was yeah. a city, mm-hmm. you know. And we, you know, because there were big houses, yards, and things like that. Yeah. But someone from Texas, it's a city. You know what I mean? It's, it's still just, the city. Yeah, right? it's Brooklyn. It's the city, you know. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, the worst part about it was, you know, it was like two hours commute. I mean, when I first started working in Manhattan, like it was a nightmare. You'd have to get. So up you were back. living all the way out there, even back then, going to and from work and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is a hell of a commute. Yeah, it's a it's a commute, you know. But uh, but there was a there was a club out there uh, when I was a kid that it still amazes me to this day. Look at this tying things in. Remember I mentioned the agent? Yeah, Mitch Carduna. The yes. name comes up again. Who thought I would ever be able to circle back? He booked this place out in Brooklyn called Zappa's, right? Zappa's. When I was okay. a kid, it was like two, I lived like li- I lived down the street. Nice. Now this is out in Quinton Road. This is like out in Brooklyn, right? Like two like two hours from the city. But it was kind of like Maxwell's in the sense that it was like if bands bands would come from the UK play Manhattan, and they were able to play Brooklyn because it was nobody was going there. Sure. Except people were, you know, people out in Brooklyn. I mean, they're right. like everybody played. So I might see Johnny Thunders, you know, nice. like amazed Joan Jett, but play, like this was out this like. How big of a room was it? It was like the size of Maxwell's. I mean, nice. you know, yeah. there was a big bar. It was yeah. a pretty big, pretty big room, you know, back room and everything, the whole the whole thing. Like it was a proper club, you know. Ramones, I'm sure. Definitely, the Ramones played. Um, you know, Twisted Sister. 
No, that was not really the. At uh, that they might, they, no, I just know they, that they were they they, they, have, uh, they pounded that circuit so hard. They, of course, have you watched the documentary? Of That's the only reason why that I mentioned it. It's amazing. It is that documentary. I got into this thing where just recently. Uh-huh. Now I wasn't a, a big twister, but I appreciate what they come. Sure, but anybody listening, it's a great New York story. Yes, and it's a great like it's. I love that story. So my one of my very first jobs was work. I was a. Uh, um, I worked for Atlantic Records, right? I was okay. like, I was like a go. I was like executive messenger, huh. okay. right? Nice. Which means that anytime like Ahmed Erdogan yes. needed like a case of soda, that was me. No like, way. Way. Wow. Totally fucking amazing. Cool. Right? And uh, you know, met like you know the Stones at, at the time, you know, and wow. uh, um, crazy stories. You what know. is this? The eighties? Yeah. Okay. And I knew. Uh, I knew this um, Jason Flom, right? Hmm. Who, who's so? Remember when the guy's talking about how the president of Atlantic Records would call him into the office and say, right. "Jason, you got to stop mentioning Twisted Sister. Yeah, if you mention their name once more, you're fired." Right. Right. Yeah. He and was that, the champion. Of the yeah, he was the right. champion of the band, and and then the band uh, was they were kind of like get, gaining some ground in the UK. Right, and uh, the guy who was the head of Atlantic Records in the UK uh, was in the New York office, and Jason pulled him aside and said, "Listen, you know, you got like, uh, you got to hear this band. You got to go see this band. They're playing the Marquee or whatever the however the story goes." So the guy goes back to England. He goes to see Twisters. He signs them on the spot. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and then he calls the guy. Doug Morris was the president of Atlantic. Calls him the next day and says, "Listen, I, I just signed this amazing band." And Doug Morris goes. Uh, you know who and he goes uh, Twisted Sister <laughs> Doug Mars they suck I hate that they suck because of course they suck we're going right. to sell a million records right. and that's yeah. how the movie ends but it's uh, talk about pre- perseverance I mean you know oh persistence God. and hanging in there I mean they, they sold, that movie is incredible they they sold out like the Palladium by themselves like no this is at a yeah. time this is before the internet and like releasing yeah. your where you could become a star from YouTube this is this is like they did all themselves. Yeah, they built it up from playing small amazing, bars in Long you know, Island and totally coming amazing. up. It's a great story. Yeah. There's, all, there's a lot of these movies I've been like I'll listen to when I'm doing like, if I'm doing the dishes or something. And, right, right. Do you know what I mean? And like there's the the Michael Allen one about the club yes. kid. That's another yes. like great New York story. You Me know? and him have been going back and forth about. Serious? Uh, yeah, yeah. For do, he agreed to do the podcast. We're just trying to. We've always like hit weird scheduling. Oh, things. amazing! So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm most interested in talking to his uh, t- talking to him specifically about his days as a promoter. Yeah, and not not you know totally the other the other part of the story as well. You've watched that film, right? I Absolutely, what it's called. Yeah. It's like all these like old school people and then yeah. you know and he was like the new club kid and this whole new culture like fascinating it's and very the, fascinating the, yeah. the, 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 the scary stuff is a little weird but yeah you know. the controversial stuff yeah it's weird and it's a well obviously there's like a, you know a, a movie Macaulay Culkin played him in, a, in yeah. the Hollywood version yeah. of it but yeah the story of him and the club kids as like doing these like sort of outsider renegade parties is interesting and doesn't seem like it's a story that's really been properly told. Like, no, free controversy. So. But the, the part that was the, the, the takeaway from that, right. you know, from actually both those films, they, they, they're kind of like they, they kind of work together very well in a lot of ways. Um, mostly because it's they're great New York stories. They're about New York culture, about New York arts, yeah, about about the about the, the diminishing. You know, I mean, the whole sort of the Giuliani years of of you know putting the kibosh on the whole nightlife scene, you know, that do- doesn't really exist 
in New York City anymore. Yeah. You know, and uh, and even you know, and ha- and and of course the, <laughs> it's just uh, silly to say, but you know, even the even the twisted sister, you know, sort of culture of the of how they you know how they you know their their whole thing was sort of staying out of Manhattan. It was a very very right. interesting thing. They kind of like even though they didn't maybe believe it themselves, you know, like the whole disco thing at the time and the whole yeah. club scene is very, very interesting. Where like if you grew up in like Brooklyn or Long Island or these places, you know, disco was this evil thing that like somehow these like, you know, I'm half half Italian descent, you know, they, but somehow these sort of, you know, sort of this like kind of macho Italian subculture in Brooklyn and Long Island kind of grabbed hold of, because Sad Night Fever, basically, right? John yeah. Travolta, and so that was just so that so they, it never had a chance, you know. I mean, right. like Saturday Night Fever is like one of my favorite records now. But as, as a kid, I would never admit that. Do you know what I mean? Like no. the fucking Bee Gees were amazing. Like the songs are amazing. <laughs> yeah, but How you can't say that. Back it's like then. one of my favorite songs of all time. But at the time, like in Manhattan, you know, there there was cool. You know what I mean? Disco was this whole other thing. You know, right. I mean, Studio Fifty Four and Jagger and all this David Bowie and all these people like hanging out and that whole culture was completely different scene from like Long Island and Brooklyn how and you know but Twisted Sister kind of like latched onto the whole disco sucks thing they have a whole routine in their act yeah, about and sub- that would, yeah and subsequently they get that that, that audience will also latch onto that if they're oh, like, of course oh, yeah. yeah it was like a thing but I don't, I'm thing. not sure they even believe it it was like a shtick almost. I mean right. you know it worked but oh their shtick but, was perfect yeah. but that was a fascinating thing and to go back to my dad he, he owned one of the most famous gay bars in New York City really yeah after the restaurant Oh, interesting. And uh, and he would bring home like test pressings of all this like amazing music. What stuff bar like was this? It was uh, Badlands. Okay. Very famous. There's a movie that uh, with uh, Al Pacino cruising. Yes, I uh, own it. Yeah. You own it? Yeah, okay. I got the DVD. Random. Well, yeah, well, Badlands and it's and, uh, William uh, 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 that's Friedkin. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah what yeah. an incredible. Yeah. Uh, totally. Yeah. yeah. Well, we could talk about all that. Well, don't get me started on that. But the. Uh, the voice uh, of uh, anyway, so um, anyway, yeah, it's a crazy movie. But Badlands is, is in that film. These are all is New York. Yeah, yeah, oh. it's filmed there. Shut and, up. Right, there was Badlands and uh, and and Ramrod. Those were like yeah. two, Christopher Street. That was whole culture, like, right, amazing. Right. And that's really where like you know, um, a lot of the music sort of sort of started. I mean, like my dad had all. Like I said, he would like DJs would go there. So and what DJs are we talking about? Larry uh, Levon? And Larry Levon, yeah. Really? Actually, yeah, Paradise stuff. You Paradise know I mean? Garage. Like, knew all DJs. those people. My yeah. dad would come home and talk about all these places. Like, I could not, like, compete, you know, like, you know, compete with my dad on any level. There was wow. a point in time where everyone knew my father. Everyone right. in, in the West Village, uh, at, the, at, the, at the Ritz, at the... What was his know, name? Charles Dima. Wow, okay. Yeah. And uh, so it was. It was an interesting. It was an interesting thing to sort of, to sort of, you know, grow up with the knowledge of these things. It was cool. It was but you were great. like a rock. You were into rock and roll, though. Yeah, of course. I mean, I was listening to you know whatever. You know, I mean, right. the from Rolling Stones to the Sex Pistols, whatever. You know what I mean? My dad, the Jam. You know, nice. I was you know, uh, and uh, but, you know, he was. I, I don't know. Crazy stories. Like he was there the night of some Patty Smith. And her brother, Sid Vicious story. Anyway, just crazy things. Wow. He knew, okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, Jagger would go would go to the bar. You know, like all these crazy things, and knew all these crazy people, all these very like well known New York club people. 
Right, and it was just and, uh, of a time when that was just that the it was such a rich period of time for yeah, music that, and yeah, nightlife. Yeah, that's the interesting. And, yeah, that's that's the interesting thing that you know where are we headed? You know what I mean? Like right. what's going on in New York City? And and so so to go back to just to um, there were three places uh, growing up uh, for me as a New Yorker that there was Coney Island, mm-hmm. right, which I, I grew up about five stops from Coney Island. There was Times Square. Right, uh, and there was a seaport, and mm. for me, they're 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 very uh, connected in a lot of ways of the, of of uh, through au- their authenticity. Do you know what I mean? That that even even years ago, they were the last sort of remnants of of an older of an older of an earlier time, sure. an older world. Obviously, the seaport is a port of the of, of the new world. You know, basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, um, I mean, the oldest neighborhood in you know. Uh, I mean, the, the history of the seaport would be significant, but also just even through this, like, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s and art and culture uh, and what was going on there and, and, uh, and Times Square. I mean, even as a kid, like I would, I, 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 to this day, I still miss it. I try to explain to people who wouldn't, there was a smell when you got off the train that was indescribable and was probably like part like, Caramel of some kind, or <laughs> right. part sex of some kind, yeah. part roasted nuts separate from the sex. But there, there was it was just this this amazing like exciting smell that I, I, I is gone. It's mm. been it's been literally washed out of New York, you know, scrubbed and washed out of New York City. Yeah. And it was a scary place, you know. I mean, I was as, as a kid. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I can't believe I'm I'm going to mention this, but. I was, I was a bit into there was a magic shop in 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 Times Square that I cool. that I so when I was like 12 years old I would like sneak on the train nice and go to this thing it was incredible I was like you know scared out of my mind but it was exciting when I get off at like times it's just like bat like if my mother was alive she would probably you know if my parents knew I might, hopefully my children won't listen to like, like that was, it was a scary thing but it was and I used to say for years that it was the most real place on earth sure yeah do you know what I mean as scary as it was and as thrill it was something thrilling not not like the bad part just it was just something about it I mean the old theaters the history of the old would theaters would you go for movies too because that was a lot of people yeah totally movies, yeah right? totally you would go you know you'd go on a Saturday you'd fear for your life that somebody was going to like stick a knife in the back of your Neckerson, but you would you would see like what you know whatever you know you'd see like Star Wars and then two other movies you know for wow. like five bucks or something yeah. you know what I mean nice uh, and but there was all these old incredible theaters that they a lot of them you know were torn down like in, in the in the 90s you know it started to to go away and I used right. to walk around Times Square with a tape recorder nice and record really? and, and and record like just the I wanted to I some I. I to this day, I regret. Like I, I always had these. You know, you have a list of things that you you want to do in your life. You know, so I always yeah. wanted to. I wanted to. I wish I filmed more of Times Square. I wish I recorded more of it. And and the same thing with Coney Island. You know, I mean, I would go. My dad would take the take me there as a kid. I'm obsessed with it. Forever. That's why Siren was a, such a huge thing. Yeah. To me, I mean, to be able to go out to Siren and see, you know, uh, bands that you loved, and you know, I mean, it was nothing like it. You know, and, yeah, and just stand time. on that street, on those two streets. You know, I still, I mean, I take, I, you know, my, I, my, my children love, you know, Coney Island. They're five and seven. I, I take them. They have magic out at the museum there. Right. You know, and I, I, I take them all the time. It's, oh, that's right. It's a, you know, it's at the, 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 
the Coney Island Museum, you know. It's I just, remember it's just, I totally ran amazing. I ran into you on the beach one time. Do you remember that? <laughs> well, that was Rockaway. Yeah, that's yeah. different. But it was like, but, you know, yeah. rarely do you just like bump into someone. No, that's really that. true. Some, nah, some years Rockaway, ago. everyone's there. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> but it's not that much of a stretch. But um, yeah. but uh, but anyway, so those so so Coney Island, Times Square, and the Seaport, and you know, there's there's just a connection for the, those those three places to me of like this the last of New York, you know. Yeah. And Times Square is ruined, you know. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't, you know, I'm not one of those people that wishes it, you know, oh, I wish, you know, you could fear for your life again. But, you know, they could have done it, you know what I mean? Like, there could have been some preservation. There involved. could have been a lot of preservation, and there could have been a lot of creativity, and it could have been a better way to do it, you know what right. I mean? And it's, uh, you know, the whole Giuliani thing, I mean, whoever sold it out, I mean... Well, I just, think MTV, too, kind of played a certain role, right, when they were in there. I think, and, I think... I think I blame MTV for a lot. Like you know? TRL and all that shit, just like uh, that, that like, fucked it all like, up. Too. Like the current administration. I mean, you know, if you right. go back, I mean, what's the first reality? Who got who got everyone started on this crap? You know what on I mean? reality TV. Yeah, yeah you know. The I mean, real world. Just, you know, sold out. You know, so yeah, we don't want to talk about that too much. But yeah, yeah. But uh, but yeah, I mean, they could have. And, and, uh, and Coney Island? You know, I mean, it's common themes, you know, yeah. redevelopment, you know, it's, right. it's, it's Thor properties versus, you know, versus, you know, the, the, um, I mean, Coney Island. I mean, we, we can, we can go on hours and hours and hours about the. the Do you feel like that's still like, there is still some semblance of it that I, exists to a small I degree. always say, unlike time, I mean, there's still parts of, uh, of, uh, of, of Times Square that, that you, you, if you look for, you know, you can find, you yeah. know. You might need uh, a magnifying glass. But. Jimmy's Jimmy's Corner. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, would be would be a place you know that that feels you know, and there's still some restaurants and things like that. But you know, it's it's just it's just kind of not you know. I, I I spent a lot of time there during the New York Comedy Festival week and stuff, but it's not the same. And um, and then there's uh, yeah, and there's Coney Coney Island. I joke all the time that like. It's it's nothing like it was, but it's still it's still the greatest place. It's still Coney Island. Yeah, they can't they can't you can't take the Coney Island out of Coney Island. Yeah, I mean I suppose at some a certain point you can, but it's still it's still an amazing place. Have you uh, been to the Coney Island Amphitheater? Have you have you been there yet? No, I went to the very first show that they had, which was last summer. It wasn't that yeah. long ago. It was like Steel Pulse and yeah, Ziggy yeah. Marley and stuff. I mean. That really? was that was interesting. I will only say that just because it was so, that particular show because it was such a mix of of cultures too. Yeah. It, was, it was like yeah. Barbados and uh, and Jamaica. Well, which I love. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the Caribbean. That yeah. was really cool. Now I don't know the long term effects of the Coney Island yeah, they, theater. You know, you know, we did this. Uh, you know, we we uh, uh, you know I was I did this thing out in Coney Island last with Burger Records, right? You know, the yeah. MCU Park, which was which was crazy. Uh, you know, um, we are we are discussing this this summer. So there's a chance that's going to happen. Uh, there is there is yes, uh, cool. not there though, in Coney Island, but not there. But that's all I'll say. Nothing's been announced yet, but we're we're definitely still working with Burger. Those guys are cool. You know? Yeah, I, I went to we college with Sean. Oh, there you go. Okay, love the guy. Uh, so yeah, no, it's a great thing, and. Uh, so what? So this plans there. So that, and it, it'll be out in Coney Island. But but the but the amphitheater, Live Nation had 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 contacted me after to so, you know because they saw that we were doing that. I, I I you know you can I can guarantee that they had no idea what they just they just saw us doing like a, a you know rock show 
at MCU Park. It's like, oh, hey, you want to do it here? It's like, you kind of don't really, you know what I mean? You don't really understand, but this doesn't even fit here at MCU Park. <laughs> never mind, like, with, at your thing, which would probably cost right. $6 million. But, um, but anyway, yeah, so kind of excited about that. But, but yeah, so, so, so that's why this, the seaport, that's why all these things kind of make sense in a little. Yeah, in, yeah. In some I can ways. see, but it, it does, trying to preserve the authenticity of of, exactly. of the place and yeah. the history, and uh, I think that that's what the Seaport Music Festival had, uh, you know, does uh, uh, reflect in, a, in in a lot of ways, and uh, you know, I mean, there's the the redevelopment there. I think it's I think it's going to be great. You know, it's going to be the four thousand seat capacity theater on the roof of the Pier 17, of the new Pier really? 17 building. Yeah. Oh, I had no idea. It'll have really fantastic views. I would think you know? so. And, uh, and the, the museum there uh, is doing some really great things. You know, the, the ship that you spoke of, the, the Peking was where it was there for many, many years. And that finally went back to Germany because it didn't have any, right. it didn't have any actual like uh, historic significance to New York, you know, a New York history. I mean, right. it does have it. You could, one could argue it's been there for decades, but not not in the way that the waiver tree that's there now, which it just went through a, a thirteen million dollar renovation, wow. which is beautiful. It's really amazing. Have you been and on so, it? I have. Yeah. Cool. It's gorgeous. And uh, are there? There's a couple other like historic boats there too, right? It's yeah, not just the, the Ambrose one. and the waiver tree, and uh, there's the Pioneer. There's, there's um, and um, but the museum is is an amazing place, and yeah, you gotta uh, check that. I don't think I've been before. Yeah, I mean, part of my obsession with uh, with the seaport was was a book of short stories uh, called "Up in the Old Hotel," which was written by Joseph Mitchell, mm. uh, who wrote for New Yorker magazine for many years. And in the in the fifties, he uh, uh, befriended this guy Louis Louis Molinari, who who uh, who owned uh, Sloppy Louis, which was a very well known restaurant right on South Street. And it's an incredible story, and it's just about uh, how when when Louis took over the building, that he he never went above the second floor, and and the third right. and fourth floor was where the hotel, the the Fulton Ferry Hotel was. Wow! Right, and then there was another hotel, Suites Hotel, that was just, just like connected to it around the corner, and uh, and so that one day Joseph Mitchell talks him into going. I mean, it's really amazing. It's a great. It's a if you look, it's, it's there's a lot of great short stories in it. Yeah, um, I want to check that and out. It's stories about McSorley's and about oh, the seaport, nice. uh, you know, South Street in general. But the it's called Up in the Old Hotel, and that's like the the main one of the main stories. It's really amazing. And so, uh, long story, but what ended up happening in around 2008 was that so there was a there's an annex there was an annex to Sloppy Louis. Sloppy Louis closed uh -huh. in 1998. That's how long wow. it was around. And uh, we used to use this, uh, the, the ground floor. Uh, so what happened was after Louis left, Heartland Brewery came in and around like mm -hmm. 99, 2000, something like that. And they broke up the space. And so they could never rent out the annex to Sloppy Louis. And we started using it as just a place to store stuff. And then one day I went and I used to go upstairs and I would work from there because there was a window you could look out onto the pier. Oh, so there was the like stage. a room, like an old yeah. So I went, to, I went to the powers that be at the time at... at, at was it was general growth at the time, mm -hmm. uh, uh, the seaport I would call the seaport office, uh -huh. and uh, I I talked them into letting me use it as an office, and it became my office for like five or six years. Sloppy wow. Louis, and amazing. Uh, it was totally amazing. So we were on the second floor, 
and then downstairs we kept all like production stuff. So we would just like roll lights and everything out out from downstairs. I mean, anything oh you ever needed, just across the pier for any event or whatever, you know. Right. I mean, they would call me all the time. Hey, we need you know this, that, the other thing. And my wife at the time, she she was had a food background and and she let, she worked for City Bakery for as a general manager. She left there and started working with me, and we started doing more food events. And the support approached her specifically to do to start the Fulton stall market at the old fish stalls. Sweet. And that became a whole thing. And we used to do this uh, series there, the um, sound bites with Bill Paris from, from Brooklyn From Brooklyn Beacon, yeah. yes. So a lot of great bands have played there. Yeah, yeah. John from Tobin and I have yeah. done, done a number of things there. That was kind of a fun thing. Yeah, you did, you did great by like doing multiple style of shows in different little places um, along well, that community. Yeah, activating the spaces, the old yeah. West Claiborne space, which, which is where we did like second stage at the East Village Radio thing and, right. and, uh, four, knot, and four Knots as well. And yeah. I've done a million things in there from comedy to the moth, you know, yeah, the uh, moth. we did a thing there. Cool. That was cool. Alan Vega was part of that. That, Sweet. Was, that was insane. Yeah. Um, I mean, even just recently when I went and saw that uh, the comedian dude was in that Crab Shack bar restaurant. Now, this is obviously probably oh, not yeah, one, yeah, yeah. The, one that you yeah. use. You do you, it's like you know, it's there. It's in that. It's in the seaport. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That's a forgettable evening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but well, it's, it's a number of us. Yeah, that happens. See, I tell you, I mean, I'm used to you know. Right. I mean, I mean, I mean when you're doing stuff that frequently, they're not all like. Or when you're trying new things, you know. I mean, we had the, we, you know, we sort of reignited the Fulton Stall Market, and we started Little Water Radio in the back. Yeah, so that's you know? the radio station that's actively yeah, exactly. there and right Yeah, then, And then we had a mar- we, uh, the, um, one of the owners of Fresh Salt. She and I started uh, with a part, another partner. Her started the market bar. So we had like the bar, and there was the market. And then there was, you know, this performance space in the back and Little Water Radio, Lemon Twigs played and all these bands, right. you know, and Cannon's Walk was there. It was sort of beautiful, but... What, what, was, the venue, what was the venue that was right next to the um, to the radio station? It's where we had Weeknight played there, like, uh, a couple of... Two years ago now. It was... It's, it's basically next door. Um, uh, and it just had a little tiny bar, and then there was like... That was the market. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, do you remember when you and I were... Remember my idea of... Uh, see, these are the things that sometimes don't work out. Right. The uh, On Friday nights after the Seaport Music Festival, there was a crazy little divey place on the, on the end of the pier that the museum owns on 16 uh-huh. called Skippers. Yeah, Skippers. And so I, I wanted it to be like the sort of best free outdoor dive bar, which mm-hmm. it could have been, except... It rained every single show that we did. So the idea was that the the idea uh, you've probably blocked this out of your mind, but this is kind of around the time that we first sort of met. I think right. you were working with the show at Panache, yeah. right? and uh, the idea was that after the Seaport Music Festival ended at nine o'clock, we'd continue to party down the other pier yeah. at Skippers. But Skippers didn't really get it. They were serving those weird, like you know, those. those uh, uh, um, uh, drinks with the beer shoved in them. With those, uh, yeah, yeah, it was like a margarita, margarita with, with like a, a beer. Coors beer, like really horrendous <laughs> sort of things. It kind of weren't. But like, if they had, if they had listened to me and they'd done like found like a great taco vendor, uh, you know, what year was this? Was like 2012, 13 or something. Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely and, 11, you know, at that 12. time, if we had if they had served that audience and it didn't rain, it yeah, might the have. Rain uh, was a big killer. The rain was a big killer. Yeah. There was no roof. Right. The stage we were doing it like DIY, you know, it's big time, big time, and uh, yeah, I remember <laughs> a few rained out. Uh, I think every single one. I think I had four booked, and every single one rained. <laughs> it was uh, it was fantastic, but it's not nearly as crazy as the uh, one year the Seaport installed an ice rink 
really? uh, on the pier, and I decided to do uh, shows the Seaport Music Winter Festival oh, in, wow. in January and February. Very yeah. adventurous. Oh, totally, yeah. Every band got a bottle of whiskey as part of the, uh, yeah. I have pictures. Uh, it was, I'm trying to remember who played. Well, you know, do you know Mike Bell and all these guys, Joe Jarowitz from Dirty on, uh, Dirty on Purpose, they had this thing called yeah. Neckbeard Telecaster. Yeah, I remember they that. Were the, they yeah. were the, one of the first bands to play the, the thing. And uh, I remember Joe's a bit of a, a artist and stuff. I remember he did like a, a fake New York Post cover, like Idiot Band Freezes to Death on Stage. That was the... <laughs> That was the poster for the for the for the event. But, well, the uh, whiskey is great because if they have to get blackout drunk in to in order to forget the yeah, whole well experience. to survive to play to keep the right. heaters didn't work. It was like just a really bad. I mean, the idea Brutal. was to sort of do like you'd go ice skating and listen to your favorite indie rock band. You right. know what I mean? Like it, <laughs> that was the idea. Like I saw it as like some kind of like you know like the Buddy Holly movie where like they're playing the the roller skating rink. You know, yeah. I saw, saw it as some kind of crazy version of that, but. That's definitely that, a crazy version of that. Yeah, it didn't. It did. That didn't. Really, I think. I think I canceled. I had like two more shows. Like I remember one night sitting in a tent with the the sound crew, and I was just like, "Let's go home. This is like the dumbest thing ever. Right. Right. We're not doing this anymore. We're canceling. <laughs> we can, I can't do this to the band. You know, because nobody. No, part of the problem, which was not on me, was that nobody was going to the ice rink. You know what I mean? So yeah. So you need people at the ice rink yeah. to, to be there. For and, the and, show. and then yeah. and then what would happen is that the people that were coming to the, see the shows that. They were standing on the. They weren't ice skating. They were like, stand, so now you're standing on the pier, freezing your ass. It didn't work. You're supposed to be ice skate. You're supposed to ice skate and listen to Neckbeard Telecaster or whoever else played. Did you ever shout that at the audience? Like, Probably you need to be ice skating. But they were so cold, they didn't hear me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, something I, I definitely wanted to. I'd be remiss to not talk about this with you is the New York Comedy Festival. Um, well, it's funny because you know um, the. Um, I've always felt that, uh, I mean, I always, I always loved, uh, you know, again, the Southern New York thing, and sort of totally unconnected. So, so the New York County Festival is producing Caroline's on Broadway, right? Okay. And uh, so Caroline's, so I, I didn't know her. She's quite, quite a bit older than me, but she actually is from Marine Park, too. Really? She's from Brooklyn, yeah. And uh, she, um, the, the Caroline's was at the seaport. Really? Yeah, I didn't know this. So this was like in the '80s or something like that, or, or late '80s, early '90s. I, uh, you know, we have I have a show on 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 Little Water Radio, and I had this this incredible guy uh, Eddie Brill. He was a booker for. Um, I know I'm not answering your question yet, but I'll get there. Uh, a booker for David Letterman for like 17 years. Or Amazing. Like that. Yeah, and uh, he went to Emerson College. He started. Um, he, uh, he went to school with Dennis Leary uh, and uh, Adam Roth, who uh, who unfortunately who sadly passed away a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. Adam Adam was a very well known uh, New York City musician, well loved, respected. Uh, but he was uh, he was in Dennis Leary had the Asshole Band, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, um, and so Adam and his brother Charlie, who is a very good friend of mine. Uh, anyway, so Adam, Dennis, uh, Eddie Brill. Uh, and another guy, uh, and Norman Lear, who also went to Emerson College. They started. Wow. They started like the Emerson comedy uh, troupe, and you know. And Norman uh, Lear is much older than these yeah, guys. Right? Yeah, but he was instrumental. He helped them okay. to start. Like you can, you can go and major in comedy at Emerson College. Wow. Yeah, I, I had no idea. I don't. I don't think that exists anywhere else. 
Maybe yeah. you get a scholarship too if you're funny enough. I don't know. Wow. But you can, but yeah. So anyway, but but anyway, I had him. I interviewed him a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about all the great people that had um, performed at Carolina at the Seaport at Pier 17. A bit like the there's an old Debbie Gibson video, right? That was filmed at the Seaport, and there's one shot. She's like up on the second floor of the old Pier 17 building. We turn the camp. She turns around and like see the old Carolines. Do you remember the song? No, fuck no. <laughs> Uh, just, you, you just can't access the Debbie Gibson. No, I can't. I still can't think of Tad's record. Uh, but anyway, um, or my name. But um, <laughs> but anyway, so but, but like Robert Schimmel had filmed. You know, one of his great. He's he's passed away too. He's one of the amazing, amazing comedies, like classic comedy up there. And this was like he filmed like an H. I think like an HBO. This was like when there it wasn't like commonplace. You know what I mean? HBO specials. Yeah, were, it was yeah. Like George Carlin. Right, and I don't know, maybe uh, one or two other people, you know. Yeah, comedy was definitely in a very different yeah, place. Yeah, and so that that, that happened. Like the Seaport doesn't even know that that happened. Do you know what I mean? I wow. talked to them. Like they, they have no idea. I mean, there's one person that's that's there that's been there for for like twenty something years who who remembers Caroline. What was the? Do you remember what's the actual location of the old Caroline's? Is it something else now? Like ah, uh, well, it's it's gone. Right. It's, oh, the, the building the, itself. The building itself is gone. It was uh, the all the Pier Seventeen building right. on the second floor. Wow! And, upstairs, uh, huh? Upstairs. Yeah, upstairs. But anyway, um, but that was kind of a fascinating thing. But how I got how I got there was was through my affiliation with uh, with Hot ninety seven and MS Communications, and I started doing the the um, the Hot ninety seven comedy show at the Theater of the Garden, which I still still exists still do it today it's actually April 1 but your affiliation um, with Hot 97 really started at the World, at the World Trade, Trade Center. Center yeah doing the shows That's and from the music end of it and then what kind of shows were they bringing to the World Trade Center R&B stuff or was yeah. it hip hop shows was it no no not no, maybe sneak one or two in every now and then but it was mostly classic never had Biggie down there at World Trade no, Center no 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 unfortunately but I lived on a street anyway for Biggie yeah not at the time just like Three or four years ago. <laughs> oh, from his, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, they renamed it anyway. Not Biggie, but whatever his name is, Claire, um, Christopher Wallace. Thank you. So getting back to the Wallace way, but anyway. Yeah, okay. so, so the Hot ninety seven club. Who, who, well, I met a gentleman named Louis Ferranda, who is the general manager, talent booker of of Caroline. She's like discovered everyone that you know. I'm right, sure. Today. Yeah. And so he was like, "Hey, you know, I've got this little festival. I want you to, you know, help me with." You know, and that was like in 2004, and that's so I got involved with the, the New York Comedy Festival. And at the time, it was it was actually bigger in some ways. Like like now, the the New York Comedy Festival is like a lot of different properties that are sort of folded into right. uh, the the umbrella, right? It's pretty broad. But it's pretty broad now. Right. You know, the whole week is tons of shows the whole week, but the actual like Caroline's my involvement produced shows. There were more back then. There was mm. there were shows at Lincoln Center. There were shows at Hammerstein Ballroom. There were shows at, you know, BAM. There were shows at, uh, you know, the, the, um, Theater at Madison Square Garden, the but Arena. They, they're all produced you know. under the banner of Caroline's... Uh, well, under the New York Comedy Festival, which is run by Caroline's on Broadway. Right. Which at that, back then, too, Caroline's was a much more... Was it a more prominent force in comedy and as a club in New York? I, I mean, think it's still... I think it's still... Still the uh, leader? It's still the leader, yeah. For ticketed, like... Stuff now. I mean, obviously, stuff like the comedy sellers. They're not like the only game in town, right? Right. You know what I mean. There's but for headliner, headlining comedy 
shows. Yeah, I think, I think uh, you know what? I think if you're a comedian and you don't play Caroline's, that's like, you know, that's like not playing CBGB's or something. When right. You know, uh, which would be kind of impossible now, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah, definitely. That would, you know, um, but it's, uh, but it's been a great, you know, uh, it's been an incredible thing, incredible shows. And, and I've watched a lot of, uh, you know, people like Lily and stuff like that, you know, yeah. just, you know those uh, those city center shows were amazing. I mean, because yeah, and you hooked me up with that one. I yeah, really yeah, appreciate that was a lot that. of fun. That yeah, was, it was no yeah, problem. Louis C.K. at City Center. Yeah, I was doing like two nights. That was actually yeah. the year of the hurricane because the very last night was canceled. Yes, of, I remember. So, yeah, but it was but it was like when you wanted no one backstage. You didn't even want people at the theater like backstage. You just like like wanted me like sitting on a stool and like no one else. You know, just you and him, just me and him, <laughs> and the opener. Right, you know, and he would like get there. It like you know three minutes to eight. I'd be like a nervous wreck, even though like it was he did it all the time. He just like walk in, walk out. He was he started like night just announcing himself, which was like hilarious, you know. And, oh, he'd uh, announce himself on the mic before he got on. Yeah, stage. yeah, yeah. Nice. And it was, he did like a whole routine on the mic. It's right. just like it was fantastic. But but watching him do the same stuff over and over, I really got the you know. It was amazing to watch, you know. Yeah. It was like watching, you know, and I've been known to say this, but so I hate to be redundant, but the, the um, but it was like kind of like watching jazz or something. Do you right. know what I mean? Because he would like deconstruct like his, st- and then like you'd watch it being put back together and, oh, you know, yeah. and just, uh, um, I, I, I'm a huge fan. I just, I just think, you know. Uh, yeah, he's, he's a like, master. There are yeah. those people that sort of transcend, you know, uh, Mediocrity, you know what I mean? And yeah. They, they're able to shift the molecules in the air, and and ch- you know, it's something that not everyone can do, right? right. Like you know, uh, I, I've seen. I remember years ago seeing this uh, uh, a version of the, uh, a Doll's House on Broadway. I had a, a, a girlfriend or somebody whose brother got us like you know second row seats or something, and I went to see this, and I was like, at that point, I I, I was I remember thinking, like this is like sh- not everyone could do that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's a lot of people that can act, but what she did was just, you know, like you can you could smell it in the air. Like there was, there was something changed. You know what I mean? Like she she shifted reality of something. You know what I mean? Like it was otherworldly. You know what I mean? And that's you know I see that in music. I see that in comedy. I see that in you know you know what I mean. And that's the stuff that's that's exciting. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's and that's and that's what's uh, kind of missing in 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 kind of. So many things. I mean, not not to sound like the old geezer, sort of like back no. in my day, because I think there's there's plenty of of um, new. There's uh, nothing excites me more than new music. Uh, you know, uh, it's yeah. always been always been the thing. And uh, but to and transcend is is yeah. a rare commodity. Yeah, it is. It is, and there's not a lot of people that 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 that, that can do it. Um, but, so was uh, uh, your first time working with Louis? Was those city center shows? No, or no, no, you, no. You guys Louis, had, Louis had done the first time I saw Louis was doing the Dennis uh, back in the early days of the of the New York Comedy Festival. Dennis Leary would do these shows. Dennis right. Leary and Friends. Oh, cool. And those were the, like the best. Like I missed those because like Dennis would just invite all the, you know Greg Giraldo and Robert Schimmel and nice. Patrice O'Neill, who's also dead. Yes, you know, unfortunately. Incredible, uh, incredible comic in the same incre- vein as Louis. Yeah, a funny guy. You know, yeah. they just did Bill Burr, another great. Uh, they just did this, uh, the Patrice O'Neill, it's been the fifth year at City Center. Mm. Uh, um, 
you know, tribute yeah, to, wow. to uh, a sort of memorial show. Uh, very well loved, very funny. But so, and then that that was the first time I saw Louis, man. Uh, and uh, he, you know, he was always a super nice guy, super cool. Just, but like I, he was one of those guys like I watched working on it. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like a lot of guys were just a lot of guys were just funny. Patrice O'Neill, just funny. If you're sitting here, he's funny. You yeah. know what I mean? When he goes, when he, I'm sure when he went, like you know, he's like one of those guys, just funny. He can't help being funny. Yeah. he's always on. You know yeah, what I mean? yeah, yeah. And uh, but not in a bad way, you know. Sure. And uh, but I feel like Louis was like a crafts, you know, like well, you could always see his brain going, like just working on it. If that makes any sense whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you can tell just look at how his, the sh- how Louis the show was written and the way. Yeah. Obviously, if he's editing it, filming it, and editing yeah. it as well, yeah. then he, yeah, he's approaching it. I'm more. a little, you know, I've always was, anyway. I don't want to get into sort of any controversial things, but I, What's I, that? I uh, you know, I. No, I said I don't want to. Oh, okay. But, well, you were uh, about to say yeah, something. Yeah, no, so. I know that. I know that. I know this. I don't know. This jury's out on some things with him and this sort of personal life, which is always. Oh, I didn't you know. know. Well, look, the greatest example of that. So, uh, just going on at the, the comedy festival for a moment. Uh, about three years ago, uh, Bill Cosby at Carnegie Hall, right? Right. Uh, you know, this was like the last show of that year, right? It's Carnegie Hall. Uh, he actually. Um, he's, he was going blind, you know, he couldn't yeah. see and all that stuff. And he wanted to call, he wanted to make a phone call uh, to this guy, the guy who originally booked him at Carnegie Hall like 50 years ago. Wow. Uh, like Norm somebody, uh, some guy in L.A., right? Wow. And uh, he said, so you're going you're gonna to take your phone, I'm going to give you the number, you're going to call. I was like, Bill, I can't, I can't come out on stage. Oh, he wanted to call yeah. him on stage yeah, in front of everyone. Yeah. He's like, well, I'll just make you part of the show. Wow. Man. So I was, I was like nervous, you know, just nervous I wouldn't, I mean, I didn't have to do anything but make the phone, you know. So anyway, there we go. He, he's announced, he walks out. I walk out with Bill Cosby, right? Wow, Behind him. Right. You know, the, the place is sold out. I like sit, you know, he sits down in a chair and I'm like standing off to the side. And he goes, he does like five or 10 minutes. Oh my God. And I'm like standing, standing there. there. I'm just standing there. He made a couple of jokes about me, like that I was like police or something, whatever, some silly thing. <laughs> so I didn't even, because he was just going on, just talking. Right. Because that was what he did, right? So then he, uh, so then he goes, all right, let me, all right, so come here, come here. So we call, and it was really incredible because he calls a guy, and we had set it up with the guy's wife, daughter, and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. The guy's like 100, you know, whatever. Wow. And he goes, hey, Norm, it's Bill. I, I don't know if his name is Norm, I'm just making it yeah, up, yeah. right? What else would an agent from 50 years ago you know, <laughs> right. so, um he uh, so he um, he uh, I call him. Oh, Bill, how are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm here at Carnegie Hall, and the place is losing their mind. You know what I mean? Like they're just going wow. crazy. It's like, yeah, you booked me here 50 years ago. We're all still here. You know, everyone's still here, and it was very sweet and it was amazing. But uh, anyway, the point of the story was that mm-hmm. so my wife came to the show that night, and I never ever take pictures with anyone, like hardly ever. Okay, I have three times I'll tell you about that. Are, okay, that that are interesting. I think, you know, and, uh, but this was one night, like there's, you know, me and my wife taking like me, with Bill Cosby. So the next day, so that night I go home and I post a picture of somebody had took a, taken a picture of me on stage with Bill Cosby. Yeah. And you come like what, like it was amazing. You can't get any, like, like that's amazing. Right. At Carnegie Hall. Fucking Carnegie Hall, Bill Cosby. There I am. Boom. Right. Right. So I post this on Facebook. Right. The next morning, the next day, the whole thing breaks. Right. That week, I like to like delete the photo from Facebook. Mm. Like unbelievable. 
like unbelievable. I also have to have, actually have a very funny story about Hannibal Burris. I may or may not tell you. Okay. Because I mean, we could all relate to. But anyway, um, but uh, the other photos we were talking about earlier. Uh, I met Dick Cavett backstage. Did you? Yeah. At the New York Comedy Festival. I did. Yeah, he was there to see Bill Maher at the Beacon Theater. Cool. And I helped him out. And he gave me a hug, and I loved Dick Cavett. Like just that was your guy. Well, it's just like uh, you know, I did. It's one of those. You, yeah, yeah. I, he's yeah. I mean, childhood memories. I'm sure. There's... Childhood memories, but also, I mean, just you want to like, if you're going to waste time on YouTube, go back and watch Dick Cavett. Yeah. You know, interviews. They're like amazing. You yeah. know what I mean, like um, interviews in general back then were actual interviews. You know. Yeah, it was, definitely. It wasn't, it wasn't like three minutes long and. I got a new movie, but um, and his guests were always like so. The, yeah, he spent like a week with Lennon and John right. Lennon and, John, and Yoko Ono. I mean, it's just like unbelievable. And uh, but uh, and then the other one was uh, one of the one of the most amazing human beings that 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 ever lived, uh, George Shapiro. Yeah. Yes. Do you know who George Shapiro? Is? I do. George Shapiro. Yeah. Tell me. Tell the audience. Right. <laughs> tell the audience. I love that. Uh, George Shapiro discovered Jerry is Jerry Seinfeld's manager. Yeah, he also discovered Andy Kaufman, right? And and if you go on YouTube and you, you there's he tells a story about seeing Andy Kaufman for the first time, and also when Andy Kaufman uh, do you, do you know there was a show called Taxi? Of course, right? yes, okay. of course. And so Andy Kaufman didn't want to do television, and George talked him into it. Right? He said, look, you know they want you to do this to be a lot of money, whatever, blah blah blah. And he said, okay. Uh, I'll do it if uh, if Tony Clifton gets to do three episodes. Now, Tony yes. Clifton is an alter ego, of, of course, right? So, and no one, no one can know that yeah. is that is me. And at that time, I don't think people they didn't know. No, they didn't know because he did right. his own. Tony Clifton had his own act too. He, I mean, that's right. In that's clubs, right. that's yeah. right. So, so anyway, George Shapiro telling the story is like one of the greatest things on the internet. Like it's just amazing, and he. And so, and anyway, just to finish the story, he uh, uh, so so they go okay. The producers go okay, and and so he Tony shows up the first day with like two prostitutes, and he's drunk out of his mind. Andy didn't drink, but like he's drunk, you know, he's like in character, you know, and uh, and so the producer like go to George, and they get, like go to Andy, like we got to fire Tony Clifton. He's like okay, but you have to do it in front of everyone, right? Uh -huh. John Hirsch, you know, all this, you know, all these people, and and so uh, he goes, so he. So you go okay. So he fires him, and Tony Clifton, like tears up to like loses his fucking mind, tears uh -huh. cursing and yeah. tearing up the place. And George is filming it the whole time. Anyway, at a certain point, uh, Tony Clifton storms out, storms out of the studio, and George runs out the back door and meets Andy around the corner. And Andy just you know runs up to him and says, "That was the greatest moment of my life. This is I want to <laughs> do this for the rest of my life." And it's just it's. And whenever I watch George telling a story, like I, I, I tear, it's just great. He's know? kind of a wild dude too, right? A wild, wild. George, dude. Or George, George. No, no. He's, no. he's. Uh, I, I was. Uh, I, I did this Jerry Seinfeld thing at, at the Rose Theater, which was amazing. And I had this friend, my friend Chris, and I tell him all these stories, and like, and George like told a story. But the, the great thing about George Shapiro, and this is a great thing about like. Managers like there's a reason why he has been, you know, Jerry Seinfeld, long cord, like a, a mic with a long cord, a glass like when you were a kid. He never tells you what that is, but somehow you know. Mm. What a bottle of water, half cracked, 
and it's a couple other things. But anyway, he'll come to the theater and make sure that that's that's it. It's very very specific. Right. You can't fuck it up, right? But uh, but he's a beautiful guy. And when at that night, I remember saying to Louis Veranda, like, imagine. Imagine if like George is actually God, like you know, because he's like this little old guy who's <laughs> right. just like unbelievable. And uh, but just uh, anyway, I've been wanting to interview him on on Little Water Radio. Oh, like, you have he's to! The greatest, uh, greatest thing. I mean, he's uh, he's just uh, just wonderful. So uh, so I have a photo, a photo with him as well. Was but, he accommodating uh, to take a photo? Yeah, of course. I mean, whatever. He's just he's just a sweet old man. He's a sweet, right. amazing guy that like that you know. Is responsible for two of the two of the you know the biggest geniuses of of comedy. I mean, yeah. you know, Andy Kaufman was. I mean, the dude was punk rock, man. I mean, you know, oh, yeah. just like he's he was a shit. I mean, we wouldn't, we wouldn't we wouldn't have half the things that we have without Andy Kaufman. No, know? not at all. And I think he's this half on the some great things, you know. Sure, I mean? and sure. Jerry Seinfeld. I mean, forget it, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting. I mean, to to contrast your the work you your comedy work with the music stuff because the world of comedy in itself obviously is so it can be so involving too, and yeah. it's just a it's a giant industry. It's totally separate from music. I mean, they obviously intermingle with one another. Um, so, so do you like, do like? How do you? Do they you... totally intermingle. I mean, I think. Right. I mean, first of all, just a comment. Uh, I would say that most musicians are frustrated comedians, mm. and, and there's a lot of musicians, uh, you know, comedians that are frustrated. Whatever, whatever I said first. Right. You know what I'm saying? You know, Bill Burr. I mean, when he did the Garden, he had to get a drum kit. He just wanted to play drums during the day. Oh yeah, he just nice. wanted. To, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't like, like the audio companies. They were so confused. It was like it's not part of the show. Yeah, he just wants to invite his buddies. They want to play at the garden. Like he were just they, wants to were play. Were they set drums. up on stage? Yeah, they set up on stage before the sound during the sound check. Right. But what's a comedian soundtrack? Hello, Jackie, Jackie. Yeah. Take my wife, please, and that's the end of it. Right. You know. But uh, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, that sounds great. Thanks. You know, five minutes. Yeah. But he had not to play drums for it. But he wanted to play. <laughs> right. You know, he wanted to play Led Zeppelin songs at, at Mass Square Garden. So it's a lot of fun. Could we? Uh, could we just take a break for yeah. a second? Yeah. Okay. Uh, David David Steinberg was another great sort of. Unfortunately, I didn't, have, I didn't take a picture with David Steinberg, but he was. Uh, so I was obsessed with the Odd Couple as a kid. It was a point in time before uh, TV really changed when when there was shows that were in syndication were on like eight times a day. Right, and I would I would like wake up in the morning and watch an episode of that couple, and then at lunchtime, you know, I would go home for lunch and like when I was in school, right? I'm talking right. not not when I was working, <laughs> right? And I would watch the odd couple, and then when you got home from school, like it was like two episodes on after school, and then it was one at like eleven o'clock or eleven thirty, and amazing. I was just obsessed with because it was New York, and plus it was amazing. I mean, yeah. you know, Tony Randall is like one of the the greatest you know um, character actors that ever lived, you know. Yeah. Um, the Honeymooners, you know, Arconi, uh, um, Bill from Freaks and Geeks. I mean, these are the, yeah. these are the, you know, and, uh, but it's, it, you know, the, the county festival allowed me to sort of meet a lot of these because I love TV and I love movies and, you know, it's sort of meet a lot of these people. And yeah. Steinberg uh, would do these, um, the, the last one he did was Billy Crystal. So a town hall. So it'd be like a talk with, you know, he would interview, like it would be a com- conversation with Larry David or right. conversation with, you know, with Billy, Billy Crystal. Crystal right. And cool. listening to these people, particularly, I mean, David, Larry David, of course, is a whole other thing, you know. Yes. He would talk mostly about Seinfeld and about the show and about 
all, all this kind of stuff, which was amazing. Yeah. But the Billy Crystal one, and who, who I, I'm never really sure if I'm like a big fan or not, but yeah. but his but his history in television is 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 you know undeniable. I mean, uh, absolutely. Knew. And like, you know, it was it was a lot of lot of lot of stuff about uh, Robin Williams. You know, that were obviously great friends. Yeah. And uh, you know, he told this great story about Robin Williams in Germany, and the interviewer asked him, well, "Why don't you think there's any funny people in Germany?" And he quickly said, "Because you killed them all." Ha! Huh. Yeah, which was you know an amazing thing to, to to sort of hear. And but he had a lot of great stories and Groucho Marx and you know oh the David Steinberg um, uh, the Dick Cavett Groucho Marx stuff is is amazing. If you want must to watch, in, I will. Yeah, must watch the interviews. Groucho Marx, unbelievable. You know, unbelievable. So how was how these are these are people that are not mediocre. These are people that. Shifted the model pieces, right? Yeah. Right, but and yeah. they're from another. They're just that created everything that we know. You yeah, know that's, I mean? yeah, that's uh, what makes it humor, right? You know? And we obviously I mean, propelled I, them to a certain place because of that too. But well, yeah, and if you go back and look, I mean, you realize why. You know, right. you realize why. You know, uh, why people are are, are, are revealed, You know, who they are. You know, what I mean, right. like what and, and why they've been given this place of most of them, most of them. Right. You could probably come up with a few people that. We're given this place in, in history that maybe, I don't know, didn't warrant as much. I don't know. Sure. But certainly, I mean, Groucho Marx, I mean, he's a genius, you know. Yeah, you know, yes, um, of course. Uh, Charlie Chaplin, an amazing composer, yeah. you know, filmmaker, comedian, all this stuff. It's amazing. But uh, but anyway, yeah, David um, David Steinberg was uh, was in the uh, in the Odd Couple uh, episodes. I, I, well, he was like, they would always have these cameos of people, of famous right. people that would play themselves. It was like... Friends with Bereshnikov or Rudolf Nureyev or something, you know. Uh -huh. And uh, anyway, there are. But uh, but I remember this. It, it, that's why I was exciting, kind of meeting uh, David Steinberg too. Not because of all his years of talk show and personality, but but because of his uh, of his um, association with the Odd Couple. So amazing. did you just but, like start drilling him with questions? Yeah, of about course. That yeah, right yeah. You know, of course. It's it's fun. I mean, these he was forthcoming about. Yeah, his experience. yeah. Of course. I mean, you know, I'm not the. I mean, I'm not the only person. You well, know, and but, also you're you know, like there. You're the organ. You're the organizer for the New York Comedy Festival too. They look. I mean, there's a reason why. Like, they they want to share this stuff well, with you. I don't, you know? mm, don't. I mean, you have to admit well, you you're put in a I'm certain not, special position. If, that's right. If, like, yeah, say, if you, Louis yeah, wants you backstage, if ran, and, yeah. If I if I ran into him on the street, they, I have a feeling that most of them would be just as gracious. But right. yeah, because I'm because I'm literally going, uh, Mr. Mr. Steinberg, you have uh, you know you have five minutes to be you know you know what I mean. You have five minutes. So uh, tell to, me like, really quickly you yes. know about that. That's what. No, I'm just being you there for a second. You know? Oh right, you right. Five, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have five minutes before you. Have oh, to you know, you, you're chatting with them at Soundcheck. You're waiting for the crew to build something sure. or do something. You have a moment with them, or do you want something to eat, or you know, whatever it is. Right. You know. So um, what is that? So you've done for comedy stuff. I mean, it's you've gone to the biggest rooms in New York City. I mean, you've done the Garden, right? You've done yeah, yeah. the Apollo. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. The, that's, a, that's a nice theater. Uh, Carnegie Hall, Carnegie Hall, Avery Fisher Hall. I mean, all of them. Yeah, all of them. But. Uh, the Beacon's probably one of my favorites. It's just a beautiful theater. Yeah. You know? Um, yes, the, absolutely. Yeah, wonderful. And the, the Stand Up for Heroes event is pretty amazing. It's with the Woodruff Foundation. Bob and Lee Woodruff, he's the ABC journalist that was wounded mm. in, uh, in, uh, in Iraq and uh, came back and they started this foundation which raises millions of dollars for wounded, you know, to, to funding goes to acclimating soldiers back into, wow. into everyday life uh, through, in, you know, injuries and they, you know, um, how many of those have you produced? Uh, it's, this was the tenth year. Wow! Yeah, uh, Springsteen's always part of it. Mm. 
uh, he's friends with them and so he he plays you know two or three songs and, and then he'll auction off a guitar or a jacket how does the run of the night work motorcycle. like do you do you do you well, have to like stand up for what do you mean do you have to so? yeah technically and booking wise do you are you the one well, that's know. putting they, it all on paper for them or? no 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 I'm just I'm just doing production for it uh, they uh, there's a gentleman Andrew uh, Fox Caroline's uh, partner uh, who does uh, they and the Woodruff Foundation depends you know but right. Or, or Louis Ferrando will, will book some of the comedians. I mean, like, Louis, this year was the 10th anniversary. It was Seinfeld and Louis and um, Jim Gaffigan, I think, and uh, one other. But uh, but in the past, I mean, it's Robin Williams, that was an amazing one. I mean, over the years. Have you met him? Did you meet him? Yeah, well, he was he, he did the Stand Up For Heroes thing. Right. I mean, it's, it's like, it's, again, like, the show itself raises probably like 8 to $10 million or something, you know. It's, it's incredible. Uh, there was a, Roger Waters did a thing, which was kind of unbelievable. He did a, um, uh, he had like a band like G. Smith and some, some other sort of ringers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the band was mostly made up of wounded veterans. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Like he would go down to Walter Reed and like, you know, find these people who could sing and play guitar and all, you know, whatever. Gospel, you know, choir. And uh, I wow. remember, I remember a night, um, Doing, uh, I went to SAR to watch a rehearsal. Oh, cool! And you're like, you can't, like, you, it's not, you, there's no, there's, there's no chance you're not going to cry. Like, it's just amazing, right? Right, right. Watching them do, you know, knocking on heaven's door or something, you know. Like, I mean, like, yeah, like, ridiculous, you know what I mean? But, uh, and I, and there been, I remember this drummer, Dom, I forget his last name, but he had like, like, you know, it's like lost, like. Like three limbs, you know, basically, mm. and he's like drummer. Wow! And I remember the week before talking to him. He lived down in Florida, and I remember I was in my bathroom because my kids were watching TV, and I was in the bathroom so I could talk to him. It was a Saturday afternoon, right. and I remember this guy was so full. Like he's like, "No, dude, I thought he had like a special kid." He's like, "No, man, I read this whole thing. No, don't worry about it. whatever you got there." And he was just so amazing, and I mean, I was just crying thinking about my kids, and just like this guy's amazing, you know. And it's it's a very emotional show. It's yeah. Just, uh, you know, the, the, it's and it's very nonpartisan. It's a beautiful thing about it. Yeah, it's but, not. There are no politics. Well, when you do those kind of philanthropic uh, type and this, shows, and, and remember, this is like John. Oh, uh, John Stewart has done it a million times. Yeah, I mean, uh, he actually got very political that night. I mean, the comedians themselves can say things, but sure. in terms of the event itself, it doesn't right. represent. It's all about these people who who sacrifice uh, everything. Yeah, their lives, you know. And, yeah, uh, and, and wounded, they're burned, and they're, you know they, they all come. You know, they have them come to the event. It's a it's an, a, a miraculous miraculous thing that they do, and uh, they're really wonderful people. But uh, wow, but um, but yeah, I, I sorry. I no, no, no. I'm just thinking about that. But but I was also it just reminds me that you you have done a lot of uh, events like that where they're um, large scale benefits. You know um, that uh, where you can skirt the politics of, of a basic deal structure and in dealing with stuff where people yeah. come nonpartisan is it yeah, the way yeah. you say it, and there's just something so you know um, rewarding in, in doing that stuff. I've done some of those things too for Jonathan Tobin. I did a, a big one for, and it, it's it makes this kind of work as far as like a talent buyer or a promoter or even as a booking agent like. There's some small respite to all the bullshit that comes with the industry. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's totally true. I mean, look, you know, like I said, I mean, bringing, uh, you know, if there were fam- so many fam- 
favorite moments. I mean, just bringing a band like, you know, I remember there was this band from Ireland, uh, Oppenheimer, yeah. from Belfast, you know, and they never played New York before. Mm. And and like Hotchit was really Hotchit were playing the Seaport, right? And I knew there was going to be a shit ton of people there, and I was like a fan of the record. You know, they were on Bar None, you know, sort sure. and and so and and Hotchit was cool. They let me book, you know, I guess it was Tom at the time or whatever. When did that was whatever. booking Hotchit? Yeah, and I, and you know, sort of let me. Yeah, like yeah, sure. That you know, because a lot of times you know people dictate what you know. Sure. And that was that was a that was a thrill, man. These kids. You know, they were kids, you know what I mean? Like, they never played New York. I think one of them had been to New York and visited a, a, a girl or something. But they, you know, and they that's came the and they played show. the Seaport Music Festival in front of like three, four, five thousand people. It was, it that's was, amazing. It was totally amazing. And Metronomy, you know, yeah. came to, uh, they, they played the Seaport. Uh, they were, there were probably about 1,500 people there. And a few years later, they were, you know, they, they were becoming a huge, I was watching them, you know, in the rest of the world. Yeah. And they played the, you know, of course they did the River Rock stuff as well. River Rock. And uh, another peer became sort of the guy who does shows on, free shows on peers. Right. And, um, and uh, they played, you know, I wasn't really sure about it, but that night there was 4,000 people, you know. That's I remember stake, taking their manager, Stephen Bass, who's from Mo, great guy, Mo, Moshi Moshi Records. And actually that last night, Anna Meredith played the Babies Are Right thing, so they were... Um, Moshi was there, but Steve, cool. Stephen wasn't. But anyway, I remember taking Stephen out on, on, on the stage before the band played. It's like, look, man. And the thing about Hudson River Park is they actually count people in. Oh, you nice. Know what I mean? So yeah. there really was like 4,000 people there. Amazing. And uh, it was, those are thrilling moments. Those are amazing, amazing moments that like you can't, you know, you just get addicted to that kind of thing. I mean, I've never made, you know, a lot of money or, or any money, of, you know, doing the Seaport Music Festival. It's right. always been a labor of love and and uh, and it's it's more important now than ever to do these things I think and um, you know yeah you do things it's like the children's thing you know I I, I brought Target in to to do the Children's Day thing at the Seaport for eight years they were a sponsor and it was and every time you know Elmo or whatever with that you know it's right they might be Giants played one year you know it's kind of it's I had the uh, Brooklyn Philharmonic play to fireworks you know wow, apples and stereo like it was just like kind of goofy thing like you know just like no one it's fun doing things that like and maybe there's a good reason why nobody would do it but like you know I don't know it's like I was like what if we what if we get Robert Schneider you know Schneider to do well the Apple Stereo play and then we'll do the song Energy and we'll have the Brooklyn Youth Chorus sing with Apple Stereo with members of the Brooklyn Philharmonic and you pitch them on the and then do to fireworks right <laughs> alright so that's kind of fun yeah. Right? I think, you know. How did, how did it come off? It was great. It was yeah. amazing, you know. Cool. I remember the year with the Brooklyn Philharmonic, like playing, you know, Handel's fire, Royal Fireworks or whatever it was. Probably getting that wrong with the Ted Leo record. But uh, but anyway, I, you know, I, I cried, like watching, you know, the, it's like, holy shit, it's amazing. Oh, yeah. You know, four barges of fireworks on the East River with the Brooklyn Philharmonic. How do you, did you uh, yes. coordinate all that? Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. Because the Brooklyn Philharmonic was there; their name no longer exists. They were a great organization, and it would be great if Brooklyn had that. Yes. You know what I mean? So, so I want to support that. So, what how, what can we do? They had come to the seaport because they wanted to do something, and I went, hmm. Hey guys, I, I remember going to the seaport. I was like, hey, could we? What if I went to the Brooklyn Philharmonic, and what if they played on? It was like the night of children. It was always the night of Children's Day because Target would want to end. 
with this fireworks show. It mm-hmm. was like a two hundred thousand dollar fireworks show. Wow! I'm like, what if we, you know, what if? So they brought the film out, and they were like, yeah, let's do it. So, so yeah, I worked with the um, the conductor and everything, and wow, it was exciting, man. Yeah. It, was, it was it was amazing. It was amazing. What what was the um, that music festival that started in China that you did? Modern Sky. Modern Sky. Yes. Right. So that's you did that for the first one was last it's, year. No, it's still yeah, we're doing Central Park. Yeah, uh, for the second year in a row. This or? is the fourth year. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So what? So that's all. It's it basically started with just artists from China, right? Or or what's well, the, the story behind that? Well, the story is a, a colleague and friend of mine for many years. He's actually we met at the Seaport Music Festival because he was managing bands. He was working at Spin Art at the time, mm. and uh, and then fast forward a few years, a few years later, he was just looking for a change in life and. He moved away, but then he, he came back and he was like read about this, like China, you know, things were kind of happening in China, and he just like right. did some research, found this company. He m- emailed them, they're like, yeah, sure, come here. It's a great story, you know. Like he got he got, got on a plane, landed in China. Somebody met him. Nobody spoke English, huh. and he went and he lived there for like a year, and like and now he's like running modern minus USA. Wow. And but from from years ago, we talked about. There's actually. A river to river program guy, because I was so convinced that we were going to make it happen, that has Modern Sky Festival at the Seaport, like ten years ago. I don't know, maybe, maybe wow. less. But it didn't. And then, and then we tried it. We kept, you know, we were we were going to bring Modern Sky to New York, right? And then finally, in I don't know, four years ago uh, or three years ago, I guess, because this would be the fourth year. Yeah. So yeah. whatever year we we did uh, two days at in Central Park and. Uh, so Strawberry Music Festival in China, they do, they always have like Western headliners. I see, okay. And, and, and Chinese, sure. and Chinese headliners, but you know, like Prodigy and blah, 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 you know, whatever. Right, like right. Hives and Carly Rae Jepsen, whatever. Yeah. Or, or cool stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah, like The yeah. Hives were cool, but you know. Sure, it's always interesting cool. to yeah, see yeah, who yeah, headlines yeah. out there, you know. Yeah, in the early days, I mean, there was like, yeah, there was been some amazing show. Blonde Redhead played, I think, yeah, 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 it's played cool. in the early days. But anyway. Um, so we, we sort of kept that same kind of thing for the Modern Sky Festival here. Right. So the first year was Liars and the music of William Onyebor, which I'm really happy that we did. And yes. Yeah, mixed with good. these big Chinese bands. A, uh, Amy Mann and Ted Leo, the both, they played. You know. mm-hmm. And then the second year, we learned that um, uh, we just one day, <laughs> Central Park, and uh, Yoko Ono. That was an amazing thing. Cool. Talk about, talk about like booking, like to this day, like I would, I would say that the show itself was, you know, was a moderate success. Um, but, but for me personally, you know, you can't get any more New York history iconic. I can go on right with the fucking, you know, Yoko Ono, who lives across the street, <laughs> you know, playing Central Park. Yeah, it was massive. Yeah. And it was so much fun to work on. Is this the main law? Like, uh, no, no, it's Rums, the Rumsey Playfield, yeah, the summer yeah. stage. Yeah, amazing. And uh, and so and yeah, I mean, I couldn't believe that that was going to happen. And it was it was uh, Yoko Ono with uh, Yola Tango was the band and Thurston Moore. Wow. Yeah. So that was That's a that true was, New York. Uh, yeah, was, I know that was amazing. It was totally cool. And uh, and then you know all these great Chinese bands and I think uh, I forget who else played. Have you been out there to China? Yeah. Yeah, a few times. I've gone and and. Helped um, run production on the main stage with the Western artists. So my, wow. I would bring a team, and we would work on. We would just handle the Western artists to make sure that 
they had everything that they needed and everything was communicated well wow. in both Beijing and Shanghai. Oh, last incredible. year was last year was nuts. We the prodigy who insisted on like shipping all their gear to China. Oh my god. Like all and tons of shit. And then they insisted on playing back to back like one night in Beijing and then the next night in Shanghai. Oh, what a nightmare. So, so, so you have to take all that gear from one city to the yeah, next. Yeah, it was too far to drive. And so we set up this whole thing with rocket cargo, like with cargo. It was absolutely nuts. We, we left. When the show ended in Beijing, me and a few others hopped in, got in the car, followed the, followed the truck to the airport. I had two or three people at the airport, one who spoke Chinese, two of us to make sure everything got on the plane. And then I, st- I was at a hotel with two others, you know, and then we met that morning. But what ended up, so I get to Shanghai. At what time? Uh, uh, oh, there's no, I don't know. I don't, like, I didn't sleep. I mean, I, right, I laid down, I didn't even going. take my clothes off. I laid down in the bed, went, oh, shit, well, how did I get here? And, uh, <laughs> I and gotta then, go. Yeah, I gotta go. <laughs> and then we just woke up and went to the, took a cab to the airport, uh, got on a plane, landed in Shanghai, went straight to the venue. Everyone was there was great. Shanghai is amazing. Beijing's like China, like you picture it. Shanghai is kind of like the Austin of fucking China. Oh, cool. I call it. Yeah, I've like never been before. Art museums and it's all colorful and lights and you know it's cool. Cool. And uh, so everything was great there. Uh, and then uh, and a truck arrived. And it's like all oh, right, you know. But then we learned that the pilot last minute decided that he was going to leave. He, he was only taking half the shipment. Whoa. And then it rained. Wow. And then the gear got stuck in Beijing and the prodigy, the band, got stuck in, in Beijing. They just drank the rest of the afternoon and they never they never got to Shanghai. So it was canceled. Holy shit. Yeah. But you it was had, stupid, man. It was their fault. They need know? to have a buffer of some kind. You know, you can't just do that, right? Like, I mean, as far as like, uh, you know. This, I mean, how, how Why not more, have a day off in between to buffer for in case? How much of, more challenging can you make it? Right. You're in China. Right. Right, I mean, like we wouldn't do that here, right? Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, look, we'll play. Like we wouldn't take a chance, like saying, like let's go play Canada tomorrow, right? I mean, right. like anything could happen. Yeah, I mean, maybe we would. You get my point, though. Yeah, I but mean, it's a little like, different. There. You got to worry about the language. You got to worry about. You right. got to have all your bases covered from anyone and everyone who's involved. That's why I was like, we got to go to the airport. We have to make sure that they understand that this. You have to watch each piece of gear get on that plane right and then everyone in Shanghai is like well can we just rent them it's like no all this shit's program programmed right. like it's you know it's prodigy it's all yeah, electronic they got it all dialed in so that's they why they need to in. have I mean the, to go to the, the trouble right to their audio the whole thing so anyway I mean to file that shit into yeah I mean I, I could now, now I'm getting all worked up thinking about it no it's, uh. it was it was completely ridiculous uh well, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, you have so many stories that we could, I could just, you know, be asking about every sorry, individual yeah, show you've yeah. done. I, I promise it wouldn't be uh, this uh, this much, but anyway. no, no, I appreciate. It. I think we, we'll I think we've, yeah, I'll add a little sure, bit. You know. Yeah, I think this is uh, this is great. I'm trying to think. Um, uh, well, look, I I, uh, I I would just like to say that uh, you know, it's uh, I'm, I'm 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 thrilled that you're doing this kind of thing. It's cool. I've oh, listened to a lot of them. It's it's been a lot of fun and. Uh, you know, I think you, you know, not a lot of people get to be interviewed to, to discuss what they do. And uh, I'm not saying any of it's important, but <laughs> but uh, but I think that, you know, now more than ever, you know, I've, I've said yeah. already today that, um, you know, there's uh, I've watched it over the years. Uh, you know, we were talking about the film, you know, the Michael Alec thing and the G. Snyder, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Just 
Giuliani, what's happened in the Times Square and, you know, and all that. Times yeah. Square and all that, and that, and that, you know, and the seaport, and you know, there's 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 a great challenge just to be authentic, you know, and mm-hmm. I just hope that people, you know, that the landscape's changing, you know, people are being yeah. bought up by bigger things, which is not necessarily bad. It's like it's okay. I don't deny people making money. That's mm-hmm. like a ridiculous thing. I mean, right. it's, it's just a crazy. Th- I'm not like some crazy. Nobody should make money, kind of thing. I need to. Man. I have two children. It's like that's right. fine, but you know, it's trying to navigate. That's why I think this what you're doing is kind of important because you know, may, if people talk about these things and talk about what they're doing, talk about why it's important, talk about. I'm sure agents talk about what excites them about certain artists and what makes yeah. it. And I'm sure that all their favorite moments are those moments when it was something that was real and wasn't wasn't yeah. about like you know how much money they made or maybe it was and that's okay too but sure. you know what I mean like it's it's just like you're doing you are doing something important you are adding to the fabric and the and the and the culture of of this of this city and beyond in the world and yeah. affecting it it's just uh, it's just like you know uh, uh, making sure that the water is good that we drink so that you know what I mean? It's just making sh- it's making sure that the food that we eat is not affect you know. And how can we affect positive change in these things and keeping keeping them authentic? And it's the same with doing shows. I mean, yeah. people, you know, we I've seen it change. Like free shows aren't what they. I'm trying to figure out what it is, you know. And I think a lot of it is, you know, people, uh, you know, when you have there's a mandate to sort of have uh, things be. Uh, larger and bigger and more worthwhile with keep and then also we're also competing against you know people just hanging out on the couch and reading facebook for six hours i mean that's yeah, real, very true man. that's yeah. a real thing i mean we all do it you know what i mean like it's a very yeah. real thing it's like eh, i don't want to go you know what yeah. i mean i just i just spent five hours getting mad at the guy i went to high school with i'm not <laughs> why i'm why right. come on honey just Call scene, you know, just order some from Seamless, yeah, and we'll watch Stranger Things, and it'll right. be fine. You know, yeah. that's the reality. That's you know, people do everything on their phone. That's you know, everything. Know. You yeah. know, they have sex on their phone. They meet right. people on the phone. They talk to people. They get angry. They get happy. They get sad. They yeah. create things. They do. You know, everything is. Like, you don't even need to. Do you need to go to a show? I don't know. You can just watch it. You know, on 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 your phone. You know, so that's a big thing. And the challenge is, and that's why I think it's. Mo- more important than ever to to give people something that's I know it sounds ridiculous but just something that's authentic and worthwhile and whether that's in music or comedy or whatever it is the people are right. still doing great things you know I Absolutely. really believe that yeah you know? and I think I think we're all uh, on some level attracted um, and can really relate to stories yeah. and people's life experiences yeah and I think yeah I think when you get involved as deep as as we have and many of our friends and colleagues in music it's sometimes you rarely will look back and be like oh yeah this is kind of like what I liked when I was a kid and that's right you yeah. know yeah. you know when you're like pushing through deals every day and trying to figure out what the next what what you're doing in six months or what you're doing in 12 months you know getting back to that kind of context where you can have those moments that you were talking about with the with the guys um with those photo your rare photo ops you know with right, people. Right. Yeah, yeah, but those yeah. are like things that just have great you know uh, personal value to you that is like your own personal story that is true to you and you know we have this this life that we we lead and it lasts for a certain period of time and it's like uh, you know you got to kind of like uh, stop every once in a while and, and like enjoy some greatest, things that, that, that's really true and I think the greatest argument for sort of staying is to stay connected is because even even just today right like I 
I had a, uh, I, I, I was at the seaport, you know, which sounds silly, just, you know, it's sort of natural, but I don't, I don't spend as much time there. But I was at the seaport, had a meeting, you know, with someone we know, uh-huh. and she was with this other person who, who within 27 seconds knew someone else I knew, mm-hmm. right, uh, from another part of my life, but also connected, right? And then, uh, I, then you know, we, I took them over to Little Water Radio just to see it, because it's, right. it's, it's, it's great, you know, the station's in its own home uh, now it's outside of the market it's like a, it's a live room and a, yeah you know and it's like Love it's it. great and uh, you saw it yeah it did it's a great and, it's a uh, great facility and so delphine blue was djing and then this this, oh. this woman uh when she was a kid was on uh, delphine interviewed her her mother worked at when delphine was on ba you know wow. what i mean and and yeah. then i'm on the way here you know so if you don't talk to people you don't know anything yes <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> very like, good point and how our lives are connected and how it's so important Right. You know, to get off your couch, and to, I know it's a ridiculous thing to say, but I do think that yeah, even no. metaphorically, you yeah. know what I mean, to like to engage, and and the only way to really, really do that is to is to go to and and if I can if I can do my part in keeping free shows in New York City or wherever, but I live in New York, so that mm-hmm. makes sense, you know, and creating a situation, right. And upping upping the ante in some way, which I'm I'm working on trying to do, that to bringing people together, right? That's what that's what anything in New York that's ever been worthwhile has been all about is bringing people together. It's about yeah. selling tickets and it's about blah 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 commerce, sure. but the greater you know is bringing people together, and that's what that's what the Seaport Festival did for many many years on Friday night. Seven o'clock. You just came after work. You went there and you met all these all yeah. these people who became friends. You know, oh, yeah. all these photographers that. You know, Chris Laput, dear, 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 sweet Chris Laput, um, uh, so sad. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, you know he he be, he became like a family member. You know, I mean, these, wow. you know, there was that we you know we would let people you know back you know all these young Amanda from Brooklyn, all these people that right. would that like were just kids with cam you know kids with cameras. I mean, this is in the early days of Brooklyn Vegan, all this kind of yeah. stuff. And can we get into this show and that show and? You know, I remember like people at River River like, no, they, you know, the PR people, no, we don't know who you. Of course, I mean, this is like your, this is how it starts. This is how, this yeah. is the ground floor. This is the, you know, this is the, this is the seed. This is how the whole thing begins and starts yeah. and people grow and look where everyone is now. I'm not yeah. saying it's, it's to do with that. I'm just saying I was, I feel like we were part of it. Yeah, definitely. And that's, and that's, I want to continue that. I want to give, there was a kid that used to come to the, Seaport shows. I watched him grow up. Like wow. he was obviously lived in the neighborhood. Yeah, and he would come. I saw it, like he was there in the front, like watching Wire. All these bands that he never would have seen. Right, right. He was like twelve or fourteen or whatever. You know. That's what I love about the Seaport audiences the most is that there's obviously people that are specifically going for the bands that you book there, and when you have bands like Wire and and uh, you know so many others, like they're gonna bring like some core. Folks, and then you have people that are just around the neighborhood, and you start looking around when you're in the middle yeah. of that audience, and you're like, whoa, that dude or the, that couple or this group of people would never have been at the show that this band played at X venue or whatever. That's you right. Know? So that's, that's what is really interesting. That's right. And too. young people, older people, people that would never go right. to any of these venues. It's not about the money, but they just wouldn't think of going, or they would never go, and maybe they're right. just passing by, or they're curious, or they're, I mean, or someone, you have, you have, you know, you're a fan of a band, but maybe five friends of yours are like, eh, they're on the fence, but they'll go for free. They're going to go and see it. And yeah. then they're going to become a fan. There's value. There's like, it's something that, that everyone that I've known, agents, whatever, understood from the beginning that that's, 
that was the great thing about it. Right. You know what I mean? And I feel like that's going away. You know? Yeah. Well, There's not, you know, and so I'm, you know, I want to try and make sure that it doesn't, you know? Yeah, someone that, has to hold the flagpole. Someone has to, you know, set that anchor. I'm saying, and quite literally, uh, yeah. in, in, uh, at the right. seaport. There you go. Anyway. Well, well thank you so much, man. I pre- you, yeah, Peter. I appreciate uh, your time, man. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you. Hey, I want to thank my guest, Stephen Dima, for that incredible conversation, those stories, uh, the, the Bill Cosby one, um, just talking about his dad, and that that was amazing, the prodigy in, in China. Uh, so many, many stories, and I love doing conversations with people like that. And that's kind of the whole reason why I started this podcast to begin with. I feel like after we were done with that conversation, I was like, yeah, that that's what I'm talking about. You know, so you've been listening to the house list. Please, if you enjoyed it, subscribe on iTunes, rate it on iTunes. If you can, all that stuff helps. If you'd like to listen to these on Stitcher or SoundCloud, please do so. But I encourage you to freely send it to friends, post it on your website or blog or however. I'm on Twitter at houseless pod. So if you do like it, you know, tag me in it and and post about it or uh, retweet it or however, just trying to get the word out. So I appreciate you guys doing that. Um, I'm down in Virginia. It's my dad's birthday. So I got to get going. We got some walking to do, you know, 74 years. That's impressive and amazing. And uh, I love it. I'm feeling good. So I want to thank you guys again for tuning in and I will catch you guys next week only here on the house list. As I say it every episode, I'm trying to come up with a tagline, but for right now, uh, you know, every episode is edited and engineered by my good friend, CJ Stewart out in California. So shout out to him uh, taking the time to do these. It's a labor of love. So thanks again so much. And I will see you guys next week. Bye. the American dream, the big house, the happy family, the money. Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, 
the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.